The 2021 college football season kicks off this month. If you need to stay up to date on personnel news, including injuries, suspensions, transfers, and position battles, consider becoming a Tier 2 Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge. For $15 per month, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes daily updated depth charts, more than 10,000 individual player ratings, plus unit and coach ratings, roster strength, team performance, projected point spreads in each of our three projection models, stats, returning production, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to join. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter. And Xavier Trish, Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter to follow him. We are continuing our conference preview series today with the Pac-12. We are uh, in it. I know my guy Chad is going to be very happy because since we go alphabetical, we start at, I mean, technically the bottom of the Pac-12. Maybe there's a little <laughs> light to be seen here somewhere. Nick will inform us, but uh, we start with Arizona and a 0-5 season, including a 70-7 to loss to rival Arizona State in the finale means new head coach Jed Fish inherits a program on a 12-game losing streak. Uh, we have them projected to go 2-10. and Their DK win total is 2.5. Uh, we have them favored in one talent edges in three. So uh, any positivity here on U of a Nick? Well, yeah, I, I think, I think there are reasons to be optimistic long-term. And I, I tweeted something out this past week after, uh, uh, you know, Jed fish ha- has done some pretty interesting things. He's, he's, uh, you know, brought back some of the, uh, big names in the program. I mean, they made national news when Rob Gronkowski was involved in the spring game and like set a Guinness world record or something for catching a football out of a helicopter. And, you know, they're, so they're, they're, they're bringing some interest in They're They're bringing some excitement. Uh, I like the still setting know, records. That's yeah, what exactly. Exactly. I mean, kind of a, a silly thing to think about, but I like I like the uniforms, <laughs> you know, they're moving in the right direction uh, there, going back to the the uh, sort of, you know, traditional 80s, 90s. And, and really what they're wanting to, uh, I think, sort of call back to is the desert swarm days of the early 90s when Arizona was consistently one of the better defenses in the country. Uh, but, you know, they they are making, I think, some positive moves. And I know that when they hired Fish, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of immediate excitement. There was some concern even in the fan base that he had jumped around to, you know, something like 12 different jobs in his career. And, and coaches, of course, move a lot, but he was at places, you know, two years max, it seemed like jumping, you know, from NFL to college and back. And, and he's, he's been, uh, you know, connected to, associated with, worked for some really great head coaches. I mean, obviously he was Bill Belichick's uh, quarterback's coach at, at uh, New England just last year. And and you have to think that 
you pretty much, you know, have to know what you're doing to coach quarterback for Bill Belichick, I would expect. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that he has uh, brought some excitement. They've brought in some new players. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, I, I, going through our, our sheet that we build for each show and, and uh, that we release a version of it to our patrons after the show each week that shows all the, you know, rankings for each uh, position group and, and the highest rated players at each position and things like that. There's a lot of blue uh, on the highest rated players version of that. And, and what blue is, if you haven't ever seen our uh, FBS team profiles is the, the highlight that we give for uh, incoming transfers they've got their highest rated player at quarterback is an incoming transfer in his first year highest rated running back uh highest rated linebacker highest rated defensive back um and you know there's if you look at the team profiles there's blue at a, a lot of different position groups and, and usually not just one name so you know they've, they've brought in uh new faces in a lot of different places hired don brown the uh longtime defensive coordinator who had a, a really uh, strong track record for a lot of years at Boston College in Michigan. Um, he ranks 12th in our defensive coordinator rankings, and that was even after a, a pretty uh, disappointing result at Michigan last year. And, and things were certainly trending in the wrong direction, but you know that that's still an improvement over what Arizona has seen in, in uh, recent years. I, I would say so. It's it's a lot of I think big picture stuff. But I can I can see reasons to feel optimistic about the future for 2021. I, I think you know there's there's a little bit less to to really get excited about. They're going to have to hit on some of these transfers, and if you've listened to, to previous editions of our our previews here, that always gives me a little bit of concern when you're going to be relying on first time players at a bunch of different spots. Um, you have to have a pretty high hit rate and it's it's difficult to pull off but i think the floor has been raised i think last year we really saw you know things bottom out and that 70 to 7 loss in the last game against arizona state it, it's difficult to imagine uh <laughs> a rock bottom that's lower than that so i think the the higher has uh, sort of raise the floor, the improvements that they've made uh, to the roster through the transfer portal have have raised the floor. I, there are a couple of freshmen mixed in that, that they seem excited about. Um, uh, recruiting seems to really be picking up for the 2022 class. So we'll have to see, you know, they, they of course will have to finish the deal. Uh, but I've seen what a couple of four stars are committed, uh, including like a top the seven or eight tight end in the country. So think things are moving in the right direction, but this definitely does seem more like a year zero situation than even a year one situation. They're only favored in the one game. According to our projections, the, the uh, FCS Northern Arizona in, in week three, they play a couple of pretty difficult uh, non-power five programs to start BYU and San Diego state. We have them, you know, as, as, a three touchdown or more underdog against BYU and nearly a touchdown against San Diego state. And then, you know, they are our lowest ranked uh, PAC 12 opponent. So it makes sense that we have them as an underdog in every conference game. Uh, the, the gap is not particularly close. They are more than a touchdown underdog against each opponent and double digits against all but Cal. Uh, but, you know, you, you total up, 
uh, a few different 32% chance to win here, 36% chance to win there, 25% here, 21% there. And you can see, okay, yeah, maybe they can knock off a Pac-12 opponent. They probably should beat, uh, you know, Northern Arizona, obviously. Um, and and maybe if you get a couple of wins, uh, you start to build some momentum. You know, it wouldn't be a shock to see this team get to three wins. But, it, it, you know, me personally – it's a it's a very difficult schedule, a top ten schedule according to our calculations, um, and you know with with so much of a gap to close, it's difficult for me to to really believe that three wins is is the most likely scenario. So I think under the two and a half, you know, makes more sense. I'm I'm pleased that we're on that side compared to the other, uh, with our projected win total being you know two point four roughly. So I think that, you know, it's it's probably going to take a little while, but I see some positive signs moving forward. If they get a Pac-12 win this year, I think that's something you can build on. Two and ten isn't going to excite a lot of people, but uh, I expect this to be an improved team and, and you know, <laughs> get that first win out of the way, you know, lose, uh, cut, you know, bring to an end what at that time probably will be about a 14 game losing streak uh, and then hopefully build a little something for the future. But I think long-term uh, you know, there, there are reasons to uh, at least feel optimistic, if not excited about the future of Arizona football. Yeah, Xavier. I mean, I think U of A is heading in the right direction. We're just not going to see the results of that very much this year. I mean, this is a pretty difficult schedule. As Nick said, you know, you're going to get one win against Northern Arizona, uh, and then you're hoping to trip into another one or two here. So uh, what do you think about U of A going into 2021? Yeah, their, their schedule is brutal. Um, I, I don't like the non-conference. I think that they're going to struggle in that. Um, outside of Northern Arizona, I think that you're really looking at maybe catching BYU sleeping, maybe. You know, BYU does replace a lot of talent, as we've talked about before. And maybe it's an opportunity there with it being the first game of the year that you catch them not at 100 percent or, you know, maybe they're still putting some pieces together at that time. You're able to get maybe walk away with a win. I mean, we've seen BYU have some hellacious first game performances. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe they're able to sneak one there. Um, I would go with the under just to start off. Uh, I would go with the under just because when you look at the rest of their schedule, you know, there's really no place that you can go outside of northern Arizona for a guaranteed win. And, you know, they also have the the brutal part that they have to play eight straight ball games. They have an earlier bye week. Um, so I don't really like their schedule whatsoever. I will say that I will allude to Nick on that, which is they are getting better. The recruiting trail for them is going swimmingly at the moment. Um, if they can hold on to uh, Kenyon Burnett, or excuse me, Kenyon Burnett, who uh, committed – just a couple of days ago, uh, he committed on, you know, a week ago, August 1st, 2021. He's a four-star tight end, ranked seven, well, the, the seventh best tight end in the country, 14th best player in the state of uh, California. So obviously if you can go into California and get some top recruits, that's, you know, that, that poses for a, a good recruiting class. So far, they only have 13 hard commits, so there's still room to even improve upon this future that they're trying to bid, uh, build here. They're really hitting the state of California hard, which is if you if you know anything about how talented that state is, that's a good thing for them. And a lot of their hard commits outside of really uh, Key and Burnett are longtime hard commits, which tells you that these guys are in for the long haul. A lot of them have been, have been committed since the spring of this year. Um, so that, that tells you that these kids are ready to go. And, and that's good. That's, that, that bodes well for a team that's really looking to turn over a new leaf 
uh, after what had been a, a, you know, a really, really hard last like two, you know, three or four years under uh, someone and others. So I think that they're going in the right direction. My only concern is that they trip up somewhere in the next couple of years. Um, Cause as, as great as it is to bring in talent, that talent still has to work. So at the end of the day, these, the coaching staff has to be able to formulate or, or, you know, turn this talent into wins. And that's a hard, that's harder. That's easier uh, said than done. So I'm looking forward to what Arizona has going for them in the future. Like Nick said, um, I would go under. Their schedule is really, really bad. They, they get Oregon away. They get USC away. They get Arizona State away. They get even Colorado away, which was much improved last season. Um, so I, I would not – this does not bode well for them in, the, in that regard. Uh, but I, I think Arizona is going in the right direction. And if they can you know, get from under the, the shadow that was kind of casted over them over the last couple of years of being a perennial loser – then they have an opportunity here. Arizona has been a team in the past that has won a lot of games. So it's not like they don't have a history of winning. They just have to get back to their roots and they're trying to do that as of right now. Yeah. I I felt like I was maybe a little too general uh, early on and and thinking uh, some long-term. So I wanted to just sort of uh, recap a few notes that I made um, just to, uh, you know, give, give a little bit more detail about Arizona. And I, I, uh, you know, they do have, Running back Michael Wiley showed some explosiveness last year, averaged 7.2 yards per carry. That's certainly something to build on. Uh, at corner, Christian Roland Wallace performed pretty well, graded uh, pretty highly. Uh, you know, according to PFF, has a chance potentially to be one of the better uh, corners in the Pac-12. Uh, he did allow several big plays at times, and and Don Brown's defense uh, they ranked. 14th in blitz percentage last year, Michigan did. And that was even after, I think, you know, pulling back a little bit because they just, their personnel wasn't quite as good as, as maybe they were used to there. Uh, they played cover one uh, over 38% of the time, which was top 10 in uh, FBS last season. So it's a very aggressive scheme. Corners are playing man a lot. Uh, and, you know, so guys like Roland Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford, an incoming transfer, you know, that's that's a lot of pressure to put on those guys. And especially, you know, Arizona really, really struggled last year to get to the quarterback, had a 1.6% sack rate, lowest in FBS. So, you know, the personnel and the system doesn't really line up right now. And, and of course, they've uh, tried to bring in some transfers to help with that. But, you know, that 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 certainly gives me uh, some pause. I think that Arizona could definitely get uh, exposed, you know, being so aggressive might end up giving up a lot of big plays, a lot of points, unless they're able to, to do a better job getting to the quarterback. They've brought in uh, a lot of linebackers that, you know, hopefully they'll be able to, to help with that a little bit. Uh, J.B. Brown, who did not play last year, opted out, is back. He'll help coming off the edge. So, you know, they're, they're going to try to fix uh, some of those personnel issues. But, you know, right now that that is a little bit of a concern is how aggressive Don Brown likes to be and how he might not quite have the personnel to have success with, with that. So uh, that's a little more detail. Exactly. I, I think on some of their biggest struggles could be, especially playing in the PAC 12 South where, you know, 
a lot of really talented teams are going to go up against teams that can uh, attack them down the field, plus a couple of pretty tough uh, crossover games with Oregon and Washington, who've, who've got plenty of uh, talented players as well. So there's there's a chance that, you know, they're going to be giving up a lot of points unless some of those new players step up and, and fill some of those uh, potential, you know, weak spots that, that the scheme might, uh, you know, really highlight. And uh, with that, we'll move on to Arizona State, who could be trending in the wrong direction soon. But right now we have them as the highest ranked Pac-12 team here. So we start from the bottom at 113 at U of A and bump all the way up to number nine for Arizona State. Uh, and they played better than their two and two red, uh, record would indicate from last season. But they did have some uh, late game collapses in an 0 and 2 start and then a month without games, which limited their upside. Uh, we have them at nine and three. Uh, their DK win total is eight and a half. We have them favored to win 11 talent edges in nine. So there is a little controversy swirling around the program right now, Nick. But uh, ASU is set up for a pretty good season. Yeah, Arizona State's one of the biggest movers in our most recent update where I went through and, and added the projected team performance ratings for the season uh, into our uh, official model, added, uh, you know, sort of the, the last of the, the updates in that stats uh, model that, that gets folded in as well. And I, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I mean, they, they jumped up to our number one ranked team in the Pac-12, top 10 team nationally. And I agree, you know, I think last year they were better than two and two, but, you know, they found they found a way to lose in week one against USC when they had a 97% post-game win expectancy, according to uh, cfbgraphs.com. So, you know, that's that's difficult when you're supposed to win a game, uh, according to the underlying statistics, 97% of the time, and you end up giving up uh, two, you know, late touchdown drives. I think they gave up two touchdown drives in the last three minutes to lose that game, pretty much uh, gave that one away, and then suffered, you know, kind of a late collapse as well against UCLA after not playing for three weeks because of, you know, of course, a lot of people had scheduled disruptions last year, but that was certainly something that uh, impacted Arizona State last season as well. They bounced back, you know, beat Arizona, obviously 70 to seven, as we talked about, uh, played pretty well against Oregon State in the finale, but those were two of the lower, you know, rated ranked teams in uh, the Pac-12 last season. Plus, you mentioned all the off-the-field stuff that they've got going on. Uh, plus, last year was just a really, really small sample. So even though they graded out well in those games, and Arizona State did rank 13th in our overall team performance uh, ratings last year, they were a top 25 offense, top 50 defense. Uh, and I think the defense, as of right now, at least from a, a talent standpoint, from our, our uh, talent ratings, is probably the strongest side. I mean, they rank uh, 13th nationally in roster strength on the defensive side, according to our numbers and our, our unit ratings. Uh, they are just barely on the outside of the top 10 in several categories, 11th in the defensive line, uh, 11th in the front seven, 11th in the back seven. They have our number seven uh, secondary and, you know, a, a top 25 linebacker group. So, you couple a 
a what looks like a very strong defense on paper with an offense that really was you know one of the best running games in in the country last season they only ranked 17th in our team performance uh rushing offense ratings but they were incredibly explosive rashad white averaged 10 yards per carry uh which is just you know ridiculous and yeah it was only four games but he had five plays of 30 or more yards um you know he he had uh what was it 10 of his 42 rushing attempts went for 10 yards or more he also gained 15 yards or more on four of eight targets as a receiver coming out of the backfield so you know he's incredibly explosive kind of came out of nowhere as a juco uh transfer when they brought in two really highly rated true freshmen in chip Trainum and daniel and so uh, you know, they're the running back group as a whole, even though it only ranks, you know, uh, 53rd in our talent numbers is one of the deepest and most explosive in the country. Plus, they've got Jaden Daniels, who looked great as a true freshman, didn't show a ton of, uh, you know, progress or improvement as a sophomore, but still think he has the skill set to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12 have an offensive line that, you know, graded pretty well, 21st in our performance ratings last year. Uh, they're moving some guys around to to get the best uh, starting five together. That includes Donovan West going back to center uh, after, you know, where he can be an all-Pac-12 type performer. So they're, they're solid at every level. And they were, you know, they showed real flashes last season, uh, our – Roster strength numbers love them. Team performance, they graded out really, really well last year. But to be quite honest, they seem a little bit overrated at number nine. And and I will certainly admit to that. Uh, So I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous that they're our highest rated Pac-12 team. Uh, I think, you know, you could make a great argument for Oregon, for USC, maybe even for Washington. And prior to that most recent stats update, you know, which is only taking into account those four games from last season. Uh, you know that that's what gave them such a big boost. So I'm worried about a, a small sample size there. But you know, there certainly are there certainly are paths to Arizona State being a top ten level type team to be a Pac, a Pac-12 contending team. Um, I just don't. I'm not quite ready to go all in on it myself, especially with all the off-field stuff going on. I mean, that's a situation where, you know, things can can turn sour in a hurry uh, in the locker room and, in, in, you know, a lot of uh, areas that we don't necessarily see that can bleed over to on-the-field performance. So uh, this could certainly be a, a team that loses a game or two when it's the most talented team loses a game that they, uh, you know, have in hand like that USC opener last year. But uh, you know, if they are able to, to, you know, car, uh, compartmentalize that and, and not let it affect them on the field, they're going to be the more talented team more often than not. And there's, you know, certainly the potential to be a 10 win or better team. So our numbers really, really like Arizona state. It, it looks like, you know, with the, the DraftKings win total eight and a half, we're over that in all three uh, of our models. Our, our official record uh, prediction is higher than that. So, you know, on paper, 
Uh, it certainly looks like, you know, we would be in favor of, of the over eight and a half, but there's a lot of things that we can't really, uh, you know, can't really account for uh, with our model with, with uh, you know, the numbers. And, and so that gives me some pause to say for sure they can get there, but, but, you know, they certainly can, they have that potential. Yeah, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, ASU here. Like Nick said, they just have a lot going on uh, off the field, of course, but we only have them for a handful of, you know, we only have them um, as underdogs in one game against Washington. Right. And then, um, you know, uh, there's a couple toss-ups game. USC, they're barely favored in. They're right at 50-50 with Utah. Um, barely favoring into UCLA. BYU could be in the mix as maybe a toss-up game, but everything else looks pretty winnable. So if they can contain this off-field stuff, they could have a pretty good year. And that's the thing that I think people is, is a little underrated about the situation is when you play football, yes, off-the-field issues can definitely be something that can derail the season. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with that. However, for a lot of t- for a lot of teams – on the field games is your solace from all of the off the field issues. It's an opportunity, especially with the off the field issues coming with the coaching staff and coming with a lot of the situation there. The opportunity to play is an opportunity for you to get away from all of that, to get away from the noise, to, you know, essentially shut everything, shut everybody up and try to change the, the conversation from the coaching staff and what's going on there to, oh my God, ASU's 8 0. Oh my gosh, ASU's 9 0. Because is ASU a sleeper to get into the college football playoff? It's an opportunity for you to really get away from that noise as a player, especially when it comes to kids. It's really something that they can point to to get away from from it all. So I think that's an underrated value of just the game of football in general. I think they have an opportunity here to maybe get away from the noise a little bit by playing uh, next season, especially with it looking like they're going to be able to play all twelve games, which is something that they weren't able to do last year um, with only with them only playing four. I think also two to this is that what really excites me about them next year or this year coming up is the fact that Jaden uh, Daniels isn't technically year three. I think last year he was a little too complacent with who he was and what he had done in year one. You know, you watch a lot of his footage, his mechanics didn't really change. He definitely didn't decide to, to uh, get out of the kind of the sidearm that he liked to throw with. Um, and I think that he kind of got okay and, and comfortable with where he was in the eyes of, college football and where he was in the eyes of the NFL draft. I think last year did a number on a a lot of his draft stock. Um, Obviously he didn't get to play that many games, but also I think a lot of people saw what Nick saw, which is Jaden Daniels didn't look nearly as good as he did in year one. Um, And maybe the, the hype wore off a little bit and now he's got to get back into, you know, that junior year mold, which is if you had a bad sophomore year, you still got one year left guaranteed to show everybody else in the country that you are worthy of a top five pick, which I think he is talent wise, but he's got to be able to show it on the field. Another thing to that is I really like the receiving core that they have. I think that, you know, that's the other problem with their offense last year. They lost a guy like Brandon IU to the draft. When you lose a guy that talented with a, with a freshman quarterback, I think it really did a number on him having to figure out who he, who he could trust. Last year, he was able to do that. Um, yes. He lost Frank Darby to the draft this past year, but he was able to find some other guys. You know, Nick alluded to some of the running backs he was able to throw to out of the backfield. He was able to find guys in the receiving core uh, that that made plays last year and that were able to show up and show out in those four games. But also you got the practice reps. Even though they didn't play it that much, they got the practice reps um, preparing for games. And so there should be more of a continuity there between quarterback and receiver going into this year. I, I think 
this team was a little young last year, especially on the defensive end. They're all seniors. Like literally everybody on that defense for the most part is senior is a senior uh in their positions. So I think those late game, you know, collapses may, you know, go away this year now that you have some guys who understand that this might be their last rodeo. Um, and understanding that this is the best that they, you know, this is the best team probably that they've had, you know, in, a, in quite some time at Arizona State. So I think that when you understand those things, and last year they were a team that finally had a target on their back for a while, and they probably weren't used to that a little bit. Um, to this year, understanding that their team is coming in as one of the favorites to win the Pac-12, they should have a better understanding of how to finish games and a better and and, and more of a, of a of a confidence level, understanding who they are and what they're going to look like. Now, granted, once again, like I, and I completely agree with you guys, what happens off the field can shake that a little bit. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this Arizona State team being 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 a team that can definitely compete for the Pac-12 championship. Um, I think you know they're they're one of the better teams in, in the Pac-12. I think really out for me outside of maybe USC and Oregon, I think I see those as they're, they're really their only two competitions. Yeah, you could talk about a way for for uh, Washington to sneak in there, but I think those are the two three or the two or three teams that I think have solidified themselves in my mind as a Pac-12 uh, championship contender. And I think with their schedule, it's more than plausible that they do it. I like their first half of the schedule, or the first half of the season. I think is, is rather cupcakey in a way I, I you know they play their Pac-12 games are Stanford Utah uh Colorado and UCLA I think they could beat all four of those teams maybe at UCLA is a harder game than maybe I'm giving it credit for and that, and then they have a bye week before they are able to play USC's and Washington uh who are the only two games that they really you know I, I, in my opinion are the two biggest games as far as their season is concerned they play them back-to-back weeks um that might be the only concern I have about their schedule Outside of that, I really like Arizona State to really run the table uh, and possibly win double-digit games this year. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, they're able to, you know, not see Oregon this year in the regular season as well, which I think is a plus. So, yeah, I think this is a team that can win nine to ten games. That's what I'm comfortable with. Uh, so I think Arizona State's going to have a really good year, barring any, like, catastrophic things happening off the field that could obviously derail their season. All right, let's go over to Cal. And Cal was shorthanded. They stumbled out to an 0-3 start, but they did finish on a high note by beating uh, Oregon 21-17, the eventual Pac-12 champion. Uh, so that was an interesting year for them. We have them at 5-7. and seven. Their DK number is 6.5, though, so this looks like a bettable number, Nick. Uh, we have them favored to win 6, town edges in 6. What do we think about Cal going in for 2021? Yeah, our, our projections really over the last three years, I would say, have consistently been low on Cal compared to a lot of, uh, you know, just sort of anecdotally, a lot of what I've seen and other uh, systems and, and especially um, just sort of a lot of the uh, general consensus, it, it seems. It seems like a lot of folks out there are, you know, saying, yeah, Cal doesn't recruit all that well, but man, they're so well coached and, and they're the kind of team that can, you know, sneak up on somebody and, and upset them. And, and obviously we've seen that. I mean, the Oregon win last season is certainly an example of that being true, but you know, and of course, there's the caveat with basically uh, what seems like three quarters of Pac-12 teams, if not everybody. You know, last year was a very, very small sample, but I was pleased at, at how our projections played out uh, with Cal. I mean, we were pretty low on them, and and they ended up going just one and three. Uh, I was uh, looking back through some of the the. 
uh, quality control off season stuff I do looking at, you know, how we performed against the spread with, with certain teams uh, and only, only four games uh, of course last year, but we were three and one in Cal games. The one we missed was, was Oregon. We had them, uh, you know, losing or, or not covering against uh, UCLA, Oregon state and Stanford and, and got all three of those. So uh, you know, Obviously, small sample. Obviously, they were impacted by not only uh, COVID issues, but um, just regular old injuries as well. I mean, they're, they're both sides of the line of scrimmage uh, were severely impacted seemingly all season. Uh, but also, you know, they, they just struggled a little bit at, at times as well. Um, one thing I noticed in the athletic, uh, you know, uh, state of the the uh, program series, Cal was one of the first teams that they profiled, and there was a quote. You guys know by now, probably I love an anonymous coach's quote, uh, and they were talking about the offensive line. And you know, keep in mind this is a unit that ranked 101st in our O-line performance numbers, but it's it's an example maybe of, of one of the units that on paper and our roster numbers uh, seems really, really low, but that other people might look at and say, well, that's a, that's a unit that could potentially overachieve or, or might be a little bit better than those uh, roster or recruiting numbers indicate. And this anonymous coach said, you know, the offensive line is average. Center Michael Saffel's pretty good, but he makes them average. And, you know, so that that to me speaks, OK, other opposing, uh, you know, opposing coaches who, who watch uh, Cal in great depth, uh, you know, watch uh, as they're prepping for uh, Cal specifically or, or, you know, sometimes you see them and pay attention to them if you're uh, scouting or prepping game prepping for another uh, opponent when they're, you know, playing Cal. And that struck me not only because. Uh, Saffel, unfortunately, has now medically retired. So he was the best player on that unit, highest rated, highest graded player uh, by PFF, highest rated in our individual player rating numbers. Um, plus, they lost two other uh, starting offensive linemen, one of which Jake Curran was uh, an undrafted free agent. And, you know, that's that's a bit of an issue because, you know, they were not uh, – <laughs> they were – just in general, not very good on offense last season, 107th in our team performance numbers. Uh, they were 114th nationally in yards per play, 103rd in points per drive, 119th in yards per pass attempt, 112th in success rate, 104th in EPA per play. Uh, their rushing team performance numbers offensively, 113th. And again, yeah, small sample size. Christopher Brown, I know their starting running back was banged up a bit. But those that was not a good start. Uh, you know, first year offensive coordinator. Still not not a great start, not a whole lot of, of reason, in my opinion, to, to feel optimistic. Also, Chase Garbers, who, you know, uh, really performed quite well at times in 2019 when he was healthy didn't exactly look like he had made a lot of progress uh, last season. So, you know, I've, I've got real concerns about Cal offensively uh, for the most part. Uh, part of it is is just the numbers, the recruiting uh, numbers, the, the roster numbers aren't quite there. But last year, they certainly didn't look like a dangerous offense on the field either. You know, they've, they've got some talented players uh, at skill positions. 
the receiver group is is actually you know pretty good when when healthy and, and on the field it's a uh 41st nationally in our unit ratings top six in the pac 12 that that's something you can build around garbers you know uh, if he can get back to that 2019 level of play then you have the makings of of uh an offense that can at least you know challenge teams uh week to week defensively they've uh, under you know justin wilcox have played very solid defense more often than not last season they did rank only 66th in our uh defensive team performance numbers Part of that was the defensive line really, really banged up, especially on the interior. Uh, they only ranked 71st in D-line team performance last season. They are bringing back Luke Biquette, who transferred to Boston College from Cal last season after the Pac-12 announced that it, was, it wasn't was going to play. Uh, played there, played you know 438 snaps uh, at, at Boston College, comes back this year for a, a super senior season. So he's coming in, should help solidify a little bit of that interior, as well as both nose guards, Aaron Maldonado and Stanley McKenzie, uh, both of which were out last season with injury. So, you know, hopefully that'll help uh, give Cal a, a boost on that defensive line, especially in the interior. They do have one of the better linebacker duos in the, in maybe even in the country, certainly in the Pac-12. Uh, and they've got, you know, some talent and experience at defensive back. They're very simple schematically defensively. Uh, they play, you know, cover three 39% of the time, according to PFF's charting. Uh, that's top five in the country. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty simple on both sides of the ball. Uh, they only ranked 118th in pressure rate last season, you know, so they're, they're not really uh, getting after opposing quarterbacks, you know, very well, but they, you know, kind of play a, a bend, don't break, fundamentally sound uh, system where maybe they don't have to have the most talented defense. So I, I think that limits their overall uh, ceiling, but it's going to make it so that, you know, they're not going to get blown out very much. They're not going to get uh, just completely overwhelmed all that often. And in the right situation, it can keep a game, you know, against a team like Oregon close enough to where maybe you have a chance to, to you know, uh, make a big play and, and win a game in the fourth quarter. I just don't know that they've got the the overall talent or, or the depth to do that consistently enough. So I think there's an argument to be made that having Cal 74th in our power rankings, 10th in the Pac-12, seems too low. But I'm not ready to, to say that I believe in this as a top half of the Pac-12 type team. Uh, what I saw last year, especially on offense, just you know, really, really am going to have to see some improvement on that side of the ball to think that this is a team that can you know consistently uh challenge the top half of the pac 12 week in and, and week out yeah i think they're you know going to be favored and, and rightly so against teams like washington state colorado arizona uh yeah they'll have a chance to beat stanford you know they always have a chance to beat a, a team like that they might even knock off uh, a team that is more talented than them like a Washington, we saw them, you know, upset them two years ago. Oregon, we saw them upset last year. But I also think that they're in danger of losing to Nevada week one. I, I think they're in danger of losing to a team like Oregon State. 
uh, who, even though we have them as a, a very slight favorite, you know, Oregon State beat them last year. So it, it's a team that can go a lot of different directions. Nothing between, you know, eight and four and four and eight would be a shock to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I'm I'm glad uh, sort of, you know, uh, I guess sort of like what I said with Arizona, I'm, I'm glad we're on the low side of two and a half. I'm definitely glad we're on the low side of the, the six and a half DraftKings win total. Being being it have them only favored in six uh, and, and our talent only model and our stats only model, uh, having that at, at six and five respectively, uh, that feels about right. This, you know, five and seven uh, as our predicted win total is is fine. I think they do probably find a way to get to six and six, but I think that seven and five or, or eight wins, even though it wouldn't shock me, uh, is a lot less likely than 500 or worse is, is that final record. Xavier, what do you think of Cal? Because just looking at this schedule, you know, it looks like we have them locked in for two wins. Uh, locked in for five losses and then five kind of up in the air games where they're going to make their season, uh, five or six. Nevada is one of those. Uh, Washington State, probably beatable for them. Uh, Colorado, Oregon State. Um, and then I guess if you want to throw in Stanford, but we only have them projected to, uh, to lose one of those games. So it looks like there could be some wins on the schedule here. Yeah, I mean, Cal is one of those teams that wins ugly. All the time. I mean, I, I, you know, Nick was talking about he needs to see improvement in the offense. I think since we started this podcast, Nick has said that about Cal every year, uh, that he needs to see some type of improvement from the offense. And I think that that's a reoccurring issue here, which is Cal comes comes with it defensively. You're absolutely right, Nick. They play a bend, don't break defense. Uh, I like to call it the Dan Quinn special. They, they, they don't play a defense that's not going to get beaten uh, deep. They make sure that everything stays in front of them and that they rally to the football. That obviously means that when you play teams like Oregon, you're you're hoping that you can stop them once they get to the red zone, which is something that they did successfully uh, in the game that they played last year against Oregon, holding them to some early field goals and keeping that game rather close in the first half, actually having the lead. So I think it's something that if their offense were to come around, it would be really, really – their, their team could be really good. Um, just I, I don't see that happening from Chase Garbers. This is a guy who the first my first my first time seeing him was the Cheez-It Bowl unfortunately. Uh, and I think that, you know, since then I've had a bad taste in my mouth when I think about, you know, him having to lead a team offensively, especially when you're talking you know, about a conference that offensively at the top is very explosive. And even the middling teams have at least talent and, and you know, are going to try to stretch you out and, and play uh, a very fast style, a very fast pace. I will say that they're deep, that their offense Pretty much senior laden. They have outside of their offensive line, their receivers, their tight, uh, their running backs, their tight ends, and uh, obviously Chase Garbers, all seniors. So if you're going to put it together, maybe this is the year that you do it. Uh, I was saying the same thing about um, the defense in the last team we talked about. Maybe you understand that this is your last rodeo and you try to put it all together for one good run uh, because their defense is going to come to play week in and week out. And when you look at their schedule, I think that this is a very formidable schedule for them. I think their non-conference is going to be tough, uh, but they can navigate it right. I think two and one is the best record they could have after the non-conference schedule. I think they lose one of the games to Nevada or TCU, hopefully not both for them. Uh, they do get Nevada at home, which I think is a plus as well to start the season off. Uh, I think if you can get, if they can get to the bye week three and two, this is a team that, I, that has an opportunity to get above six and a half wins. 
I'm going to say they are going to go over uh, just because I think that I can lean on when we talk about some of the other teams like Oregon State, Colorado, Arizona, Stanford. What can I lean on with those teams? I'm not entirely sure with Cal, well, the Cal, I know their defense is going to come to play week in and week out. And I understand that as long as their offense can score like 24 points, they've got a chance. Like They're not asking for much at Cal. They're asking for maybe 24. If they can get 30, wow, they might blow them out. Like that, That's really all that they're hoping for from that offense. And I think that they can do that this year. I, you know, and this is a team in Cal that it, I think is trending upwards. They finished top 30 this year nationally in recruiting. They finished with the third best recruiting class in the Pac-12 in 2021. Uh, obviously, when you're in the state of California, if you're able to be able to recruit with, the, you know, in the top 25 or in the top 30, excuse me, that means you're getting the 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 better talent in California. They, they're, you know, out of their uh, recruits from last year, 13 of them were from the state of California. And if they can start to get, you know, the, the recruits that maybe USC is not you know, accepting, then this is, you know, or in UCLA may be missing out on because they haven't been able to turn that team around or that program around in the last couple of years. This might be a Cal team that can, you know, that we talk about in two or three years that could be a more formidable team in the Pac-12. I think this year, seven wins is definitely feasible for them. So I'm going to go with the over here. Um, God, I'm going with the over. I'm trusting Chase Carver's. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go with the over here. I, I think that they're going to have, they're going to be able to win seven games because at the end of the day, I trust at least one side of the ball from them. Uh, and they got too many seniors on the offensive side of the ball to, to, to suck that much offensively for another year. They way too many. All right. Well, let's go over to Colorado. Uh, maybe a little bit less enthusiasm for Colorado, although they're not ranked too much far, too much farther back behind Cal at 82 and uh, the Carl Durrell era of Colorado football started with promise. They did open up 4-0 before falling to Utah and Texas to finish at 4-2, and 3-1 in the conference. We have them at 4-8. and eight. Their DK total is 4.5. Uh, favorite twin, two. Only talent edges in three, Nick. So uh, give us a little light on what we expect from Colorado for 2021. In, in my opinion, Colorado was definitely a team that overachieved last season. And, and they started out you know, really, really well. And kudos to Carl Durrell and his coaching staff. Uh, they were put in a really difficult situation getting hired. I mean, what was it even uh, before spring practice? I mean, it was, it was very, very early on. And of course, I mean, like most people, they didn't have uh, a, a real spring practice, but still just sort of the, the timing of the whole thing was uh, difficult, very, very difficult. And for them to come out and knock off, you know, UCLA and Stanford, both of whom uh, by the end of the season were playing pretty well, were improved uh, programs uh, to, to, you know, get to four and O to start, even though it didn't, didn't end particularly well. Um, it, it can only be considered a success, you know, from, from last season. So, you know, we've talked about head coaches going into their second year and kind of a working theory of mine for, for some of the guys who uh, came out better than expected. It's going to be very, very difficult. I think in, in most situations in Colorado, uh, in my opinion, falls into this, it's going to be difficult to really get a year two bump when you start out uh, kind of overachieving a little bit. And, and I don't know that even, even though, you know, people say, oh, well, uh, they, they can build off of 2020 and build momentum. And, and, you know, they've got some big time players coming back. Like 
Jarek Broussard, who was uh, the, uh, you know, all Pac-12 running back last season, had a great, great year. Um, a couple of players on defense, a couple of linebackers, very, very productive. Nate Landman, who unfortunately suffered a, a big injury uh, toward the end of last season, but sounds like he's going to be able to be back and healthy this year. But he and Carson Wells, pretty good duo. Uh, Wells, you know, working off the edge uh, more often than not. But but regardless, you know, this is a team in Colorado that uh, just doesn't quite stack up from a talent standpoint with teams that we would expect to be in the top half of the conference. They rank 67th overall in roster strength, according to our calculations, 81st on the offensive side of the ball. And that's with, you know, a, a strong uh, running back group. It's not just Broussard, but Alex Fontenot, who uh, had a great 2020, or excuse me, 2019 season, uh, but didn't play last year because of injury. Joe Davis, Asad Clayton, uh, you know, Davis is in there. Clayton is one of the higher rated uh, recruits that they've had in Colorado in a while. Uh, and, and there's some promise at receiver as well. Dimitri Stanley, a returning starter. Uh, Brendan Rice, you know, Jerry Rice's son had, uh, what was the note? Oh, nine touches, touched the ball nine times as a true freshman last year. He scored three touchdowns, two receptions and a, and a punt return. So, you know, that's that's uh, something to build on. Levante Chenault was, was pretty exciting at times, had one of the highest target shares in, in college football. I actually really like Brady Russell at, at tight end. He uh, was limited to 92 snaps last season, but uh, is somebody who, you know, I think is, is uh, got all Pac-12 type potential at the tight end position. So, you know, they've, they've got bits and pieces here. An offensive line that started strong, but, but finished only 74th in our performance rankings. You know, I, I, they are dealing with some injuries, dealt with some injuries last year, but uh, left tackle Frank Phillip is likely to miss the first couple of games uh, because of injury. So, you know, it, it seems like every sort of positive uh, spot, it, there's there seems to be a little bit of a negative weighing it out uh, or sort of leveling it out, bringing it down a bit. Uh, you know, last year they got better quarterback play than expected with Sam Neuer, ended up being a second all-team or all-Pac-12 second-team quarterback. Well, he's since transferred on, on the positive of that. Uh, it looked like maybe he was going to get beat out by either Brendan Lewis or incoming transfer JT Shrout. But then on the other hand, you think, well, there was a guy who came in and, and really helped sort of solidify the offense or at least, uh, you know, was able to, to uh, kind of manage the, the system, manage the game. Maybe he didn't have a super high ceiling, but he was somebody that more often than not uh, put Colorado in a, in a pretty good uh, position at least early on last season. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking for reasons to be positive, and I think that there are some. But then I'm also looking, of course, at the talent numbers. I'm looking at a, a strength of schedule that we have ranked eighth nationally. Uh, non conference games against Texas AM and Minnesota are going to be very, very difficult uh, to win. We do have Minnesota as, as only about uh, a field goal favorite because that game is in Boulder. But you throw in, uh, they play in the, the Pac-12 South. They also play Oregon and Washington in crossover games from the North. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult slate. You're not going to be able to build a ton of momentum uh, through that non-conference schedule 
I expect. I mean, you know, maybe you can knock off Minnesota, but then to start Pac-12 play with Arizona State, who we've already said is our top-rated uh, Pac-12 team, and USC before the bye week, it's tough. It, it doesn't set up very well uh, scheduling-wise to, to play uh, four pretty talented teams back-to-back-to-back to back to back, uh, after that week one game against Northern Colorado. They've got to get healthier on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Landman's got to come back and, and be fully healthy, I think. They've also had injuries, you know, that, that limited guys like Russell last year, like Fontenot last year. So I, I just don't know uh, that Colorado's got the talent, got the depth to, you know, do much more than they did last year. Um, you know, uh, deservedly, they're, they're favored against Northern Colorado favored against Arizona. You could make an argument that they've got, you know, talent or, or personnel uh, on par with a team like Cal, Oregon State, uh, you know, but but everybody else, they're pretty much at a, a talent disadvantage. And statistically, you know, I, I, I struggle to see, uh, even though last year they improved a ton, uh, statistically on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I struggle to see that they've got, you know, sort of a system or, or uh, a plan in place really to help them severely, you know, close that talent gap or, or even overcome it. So I'm personally not super high on Colorado. Uh, I think that, that Durrell and, and the staff should certainly be commended for what they accomplished last season. But I think the Colorado we saw in the losses to Utah and Texas are going to be much more, you know, what we should expect to see from Colorado this year. I, I think getting to, uh, you know, that, that four and a half win total from DraftKings is, is going to be very, very difficult. We bumped them up to four and eight. Our projected win total is 3.79. Three and nine, quite honestly, uh, feels a little more correct to me than four and eight. So maybe they can, you know, uh, knock off a, a team or two that we wouldn't uh, necessarily expect. But even then, uh, you know, getting to five wins to me, you know, just, just really doesn't seem, I don't want to say it doesn't seem possible. I mean, it's possible, but it just, it, it seems very unlikely to me. What do you think, Xavier? Because Colorado, uh, like Nick said, Colorado seems to drop someone they're not expected to drop uh, almost every single year. But, uh, you know, we don't have them. This this schedule is pretty brutal here. And, uh, you know, maybe Minnesota is a win. Uh, we have Northern Colorado as a for sure win. And they do have Arizona on the schedule, which is nice. But, you know, most likely... Maybe Cal, although you like Cal, you just said that. Oregon State, who we haven't gotten to yet. What do you think about Colorado? Yeah, I don't like Colorado this year. Um, I think last year they benefited from a weaker schedule. Uh, this year, not only do they get a lot of the the, the talented teams in the Pac-12 early, uh, but they get them back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And that's really – I mean, this is a team that could be one and four by their bye week. And that's not a stretch at all. Um, and when you look at the rest of their schedule, I don't like it. I will say, though, and this is what I, I will put this out there, is that, you know, as they get later on into the season, they will get the benefits of playing in Colorado in the snow. That should maybe help them out a little bit, just a tad bit, over teams like a Washington. Give them a little bit of an advantage against a team like a Washington later on in November, just a little bit. 
you know, playing in Colorado, playing in that altitude is that you don't you don't get used to that ever, um, no matter how many times you play there. And obviously, if it snows as well, that's another, you know, that on top of having fans might be a little bit, a bit of, a, of a plus for them uh, when they see Washington uh, on November 20th. Outside of that, you really look at their back half of the schedule where you're looking for wins. Uh, they have to go to UCLA, have to go to the Rose Bowl. I don't like that matchup for them. I do like them over Utah because I think Utah is in a weird, form, weird place right now. We'll get to them later in the podcast. I don't really like them either. Uh, but you're really looking at maybe three wins. You know, Northern Colorado, Arizona, Oregon State. That's the only three I can give them confidently right now. And Oregon State showed us last year, uh, uh, you know, some improvement as well. I think you will see a little bit of a, of a uh, well, not a little bit, but a lot of it uh, of a downturn from them from last year. And my biggest concern with them is that, you know, when you're a team that doesn't win that often uh, or, or does not have a, a history of winning for a very long time, when you start these this season early on, if they do start off one and four, like I do project that they will, Who's to say that the rest of the, that the locker room doesn't go with that? You know, morale is really big in college football. Um, not and not having that with a bunch of 18, 19 year olds could be could, could be, you know, catastrophic with, with their season. Because at the end of the day, if you lose four straight games, the, regardless of how much season you have left, the kids see one and four. They understand what the situation is and they understand what they're playing for at that point is pride. And if you don't have the morale, the pride that goes with that is very slim. Um, and so my, my biggest concern with them is that they do start off one and four. And luckily for them, after that stretch, they do have a bye week. So they might be able to, you know, recuperate, you know, have a, a bunch of team meetings as you would, as Nick would probably do as a coach to get his team rallied together. They probably have a bunch of team meetings that week just to just talk, just to, you know, talk about the rest of the season, line it out and be like, guys, this is what we have to do. Uh, but even then, you, you go from Arizona, which I think is a win from them, to at Cal at Oregon. And I think at that point, that's that's possibly six losses on the rest of the year. That's two and six. And I don't see them running the table in their last, you know, four games against Oregon State, UCLA, Washington, and Utah to make a bowl game. So I think this team is three wins, maybe four uh, for me this year. So I, I would go with the under if I'm, t- if I'm thinking about Colorado. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that they're – that, uh, you know, DK did a good job here. They didn't get overzealous after – Colorado had a you know an overachieving year last year, so I think I'm going to go with the under the under four and a half for Colorado. But I think this is a team that could get better over the next couple of years. They were in the basement of the Pac-12 this year recruiting. Already next year they're looking really good. Um, if they're able to put together a good class next year, that would give them you know three classes in the last year that were in the top 65, which is a really good thing for Colorado. It's not easy to recruit in Colorado because you're kind of in that no man's land as far as recruiting is concerned. You're not close enough to Col- uh, to California, but you're also not close enough to Texas. So you kind of try to get what you can. Uh, so if they're able to, to continue to get better at recruiting, this is a destination that could get more and get into that middle ground of the Pac-12 where they're consistently getting the bowl games year in and year out. All right, let's go over to Oregon. And Oregon had a weird year last year. They uh, had some upset losses to Oregon State and Cal, but they beat USC 31-24 to in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, they did lose to Iowa State in their bowl game to cap a 4-3 season, but wasn't it, Nick? Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but didn't they play in the Pac-12 championship game for Washington because Washington had COVID issues? Um, yeah, it, it was just a really weird year for them. Uh, we have them at 9-3, and three, uh, but the DK total win is 9, so we have them right there. Favorite to win in 9, Town Edges in 11. Oregon is always 
uh, dangerous here to potentially uh, win the Pac-12 and get into uh, the tournament. But what do we think about them for 2021, Nick? Yeah, it, it you know coming off of a very strange season, and and you know everybody basically could say that. But for Oregon, uh, the the optimism was was basically through the roof this time last year uh, or before the, you know, before it, it sounded like the PAC 12 wasn't going to play Oregon was uh, what uh, definitely considered a top 10 team. According to most uh, was a team that, that looked like a legitimate uh, playoff contender. The defense, especially the secondary was just absolutely stacked. Penny Sewell was, uh, you know, expected to be a, a slam dunk all American uh, award winner, all the you know best offensive line we've seen maybe since Orlando Pace. I mean, I remember talking about that a little in the preseason last year. But once things finally rolled around after the Pac-12 had you know canceled and then and then decided to restart, by that time a lot of those big time players had opted out, decided to, to declare for the NFL draft, move on, and set themselves up for pro careers and and you know it worked out well for them i mean sewell was taken seventh overall uh they had one two three four uh players in in the secondary get drafted three of those had opted out um so it's it's you know obviously they were missing a lot of talent last season and part of the the reason that they were uh, upset a couple of times, you know, maybe maybe had to do with uh, some key missing pieces. Maybe some other guys just weren't quite ready to step in and and uh, carry those those uh, spots. But uh, you know, very close loss on a Friday night on the road uh, against Oregon State. Uh, then follow that up. You know, you never want uh, one loss to uh, you, you never want one team to beat you twice. But they were. Uh, you know, on the road the following week at Cal and, and ended up coming up short in that one as well. Two, you know, tricky opponents, but obviously they were favored in both games and, and uh, certainly had big talent edges in, in both games. Uh, but they were able to, to, you know, slip into that Pac-12 championship game. And, and we know Oregon is is capable of competing with anybody on its schedule. And, and they were able to knock off USC. Uh, so they're they're uh, you know taking all that into a uh, into account. They for me are, are a little bit tricky uh, to really put my finger on at this point. They're fifteenth in our power rankings, fourth uh, in the Pac-12. That seems a little low. And then looking around at other people, um, you know, is is not not way way lower on a team like, you know, North Carolina, we've talked about, we'll talk about a lot more because we are definitely an outlier on how low we are for them. Uh, Oregon, I think is 12th in ESPN's uh, football power index. Uh, I've seen them 10th in, in certain places, but also I know uh, also at ESPN SP, SP plus Bill Connolly's, uh, you know, great, great uh, analytics uh, model. They're fifth. So, you know, they're a team that could uh, certainly challenge for a playoff spot. The recruiting has been uh, performing at a really, really high level since Mario Cristobal took over at, you know, as head coach. Uh, the defense, 
you know, getting young players a lot of game reps last season perhaps could pay off. They've got a linebacker duo that's uh, up there with with any in college football and Noah Sewell and uh, Mace Funa. Both of those guys are, are uh, mid-90s rated players, according to our uh, player ratings model. And, and then, of course, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, a 100 rated player, has, has been uh, a, a you know high-performing uh, edge defender since he stepped on the field at Oregon a couple of years ago. Looks now, again, you know, kind of what Sewell was uh, this time last season, considered basically head and shoulders best at his position, you could make an argument that, that Thibodeau is in that conversation on the defensive side of the ball as well. And it sounds like they're going to be, you know, pretty creative. Tim DeRuder, who was hired from Cal, uh, was a really, really highly rated defensive coordinator. He's 16th in our, our DC ratings. You know, it sounds like he's going to uh, move Thibodeau around and, and create uh, – hopefully some mismatches, good matchups for him to, to take care or, or, you know, put him in a position to be uh, the most productive that he can be because, you know, he's one of the top two, three players at any position in college football. So, you know, defensively, I think they're going to be good. Mikel Wright, uh, similarly highly rated as a recruit a few years ago is, is uh, looking like one of the best corners in Certainly the Pac-12 has the potential maybe to be an All-American type player eventually. Uh, they did uh, unfortunately suffer, uh, you know, a couple of players got in some off-field trouble last week. Jamal Hill, who was a returning starter, DJ James, also at corner, uh, expected to, to be a major contributor, maybe push for a, a starting role. Both of those guys have been suspended. Looks like they're probably going to miss at least some time. So maybe they're not going to be, you know, at full strength what they could be defensively, but still a, a very, very solid unit top 20 in our talent numbers, uh, you know, roster strength wise defensively overall. Uh, and, and each unit is certainly got top 25 potential. The defensive line doesn't rate out, uh, you know, doesn't rank as high as a unit, but Thibodeau being one of the elite players in college football, I think probably uh, makes them, uh, you know, a very, very dangerous defensive line, even, even more so than our numbers might capture offensively is where I have, I think, a little bit more concern. Uh, and the offense performed pretty well last season. They were 30th in team performance, while the defense was just 61st. But, you know, Anthony Brown kind of eventually wrestled that quarterback job away from Tyler Shuck. Shuck ends up transferring, so it looks like Brown is the guy. He, of course, has had multiple ACL injuries uh, in the past, didn't play a ton Last season, uh, they have a, a really, really highly rated true freshman in Ty Thompson. Uh, I've heard some good things about Jay Butterfield, who will be a redshirt freshman this season. Sounds like Brown is the guy, at least at this point. Maybe one of those other two uh, could potentially raise the ceiling for the Oregon offense. But, uh, you know, somebody's going to have to step up, I think, to sort of make this offense dangerous enough to be a a playoff contending team. Uh, I, I think that they've got a deep receiving core. 
Guys like Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman, all three were starters last year. Uh, I think Devin Williams might be the most talented guy. Uh, and, and, you know, so that's your, your four deep there, plus Tony, uh, or excuse me, Troy Franklin, really, really highly rated. A true freshman seems like he could have an impact immediately as well. Um, the offensive line brings everybody back, all five starters, uh, including Alex Forsyth, who's the, the starting center, highest rated player, all Pac-12 performer. But the, you know, uh, the quarterback position, I think uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think Brown is good, can can manage a game, can also, uh, you know, be dangerous on the ground. But, you know, I, I wonder if he's actually going to be able to elevate the offense as a whole. I wonder if there is a go-to receiver who is a, a dangerous, uh, you know, consistently can win one-on-one situations on the outside. I think Devin Williams could be that guy, but we just haven't seen him, you know, do it quite consistently enough yet to, to – uh, to, to, you know, we know, hey, this guy is going to get the ball uh, down in the red zone or, or got to convert a first down here. Um, and he's just the best player. So he's, you know, the ball's going here and, and he's going to make a play. Just haven't quite become that type of guy. And I, I think Oregon needs that um, at the quarterback position and, and at receiver, maybe to max out its ultimate potential. C.J. Verdell, when healthy, really, really good player. Travis Dye, who who steps in and, and is a great complement to Verdell. And, and last season, when Verdell was you know off the field a lot, uh, proved to be one of the most versatile running backs in, in college football. Can do a ton of damage out of the backfield as a receiver. Can run a little bit too. You know, both of those guys are, are solid. Good, good one-two punch. But I need to see, I think, a little bit more from the quarterback position and, and from a – pretty talented receiver group, but I kind of want to see one guy step up and be the guy. Uh, and, and then other guys compliment, you know, step in and, and, and compliment that unit to really see this offense as somebody that can consistently stack up with the, the best of the best uh, teams in the country to, to win the PAC 12 again, and then perform well in the playoff. Uh, you know, I, I just, until they prove that to me, I, I, I feel I feel like we might be a, a, a spot or two low on Oregon at 15. Uh, certainly, you know, they don't seem like the fourth best team in the Pac-12. They probably should be one of the top two. But it, until I get those questions answered on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I'm, 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 I don't hate it that we have Oregon a little bit lower than most. I think this is a team that recruiting will continue to, to uh, be very, very good, maybe even get better. And then this time next year, we're probably talking about Oregon as a, a you know, uh, one of the teams that that is absolutely favored to get to the playoff. But it right now sort of seems like maybe they're one year away. Xavier, what do you think of Oregon? Because, you know, uh, like I said at the front, they're always in play here. They have an enormous game week two against Ohio State. Uh, and other than that game, we only have them not favored in two games, but those other ones are very close. Washington at 43%, Washington State, or excuse me, Utah at 46%. So they're uh, just slight underdogs in every single, uh, in those two games, and then a bigger underdog uh, just over a touchdown against Ohio State. But uh, this is a good squad, and it wouldn't be shocking if, you know, 
Uh, they had a great year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this Oregon Ducks team, I think as a team, is really good. I will say this, though. Anthony Brown scares me. I'll be perfectly honest. I'll keep it blunt. He he seems like more of an athlete than a quarterback in this situation. And I think even last year you saw Oregon, when it came to passing the football, to me they just looked better with Tyler Shuck back there. He just looked a little bit more of a composed passer uh, uh, back there. Now, obviously, Anthony Brown is, a, is more dynamic. He, he's got better feet as far as being able to scramble. And that obviously with, with one of the best backfields in the country with C.J. Verdell and, and Travis Dye obviously adds to their offensive talent. I'm just I'm concerned in, in games like at Ohio State where that running game may not get going, that I'm going to have to sit back and watch Anthony Brown have to sling the ball around. And I'm not sure he can do it. There's never been a time that Anthony Brown played in his time in college that he's played quarterback that I felt 100% confident that he can make every throw. And I, and I still feel that way. And so next year is, is going to be a bit of a, of a waiting period for me to just deem Oregon one of the best teams in, in the country. Um, heck, even one of the best teams in the Pac-12 until I see Anthony Brown really put it all together throwing the football. Now, like I said, as an athlete, as a runner, he's got all the tools there. And he, he's got a little bit better and he's gotten better since his – uh, Boston College days with his intangibles, being able to know when to run and when to sit in and throw it. But for me, he's got to. I've got to see the full package. There's a reason why they kept going back and forth last year. It's because they didn't know who they wanted. Uh, now down the stretch, obviously you saw more of Anthony Brown than you did Shuck. But I think that was because I felt like Shuck was kind of pulling away down the stretch of last year's season. He saw the writing on the wall, and he maybe at one point went to the coaches and was like, "Hey, I don't like this. If we're going to continue to do this, just give him the job." And I'm going to move on to another situation, which is why I, which is why he transferred. My, also, when it comes to Oregon, do they have that one head-scratching stupid loss in there this year? And, you know, it happened a couple of years ago with Arizona State when they were on the road. Does it happen this year? And, and I'm going to circle that that U, yeah, UCLA game at UCLA in Pasadena. I'm going to circle that game as, as a trap game for them. Um, I think that's, you know, for me, that that's their possible trap game. Uh, coming off of uh, what's going to be a very physical contest in California uh, the week before. Do they go into UCLA, maybe, you know, licking some wounds, and they let a UCLA team that, you know, has some explosive players, has a really, un in my opinion, underrated quarterback who has a lot to prove this year and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, do they, you know, do they trip up in that game and that completely derails their possibilities of making it to a national championship? Outside of really that game, and like I said, and obviously the ones that we've talked about, Ohio State at Ohio State and at Washington, this is a team that can run the table. I but, but my biggest issue is Anthony Brown concerns me. That back end this year for them is going to be really good. So defensively, I'm not too concerned with Kayvon Thibodeau up front, and when you've got the the talent and also now the experience with their uh, with those cornerbacks, both of them being juniors and Michael Wright and Jamal Hill. I'm really excited to see that. Yes, they lost Javon Holland last year, but I don't think they lose too much in losing him. I think it's a real plug and play situation uh, there. Kind of the same way I feel with the offensive line. That yes, you lost Penny Sewell, but you plug in another senior right in his position. So you're not losing the game reps more. So maybe you're losing just a little bit of the talent level. Uh, so I think this Oregon team can run the table. My big, like I said, my biggest concern is Anthony Brown and whether or not they have another one of those games where they just don't come to play for a weekend and they end up losing to a team that they're much more talented in 
And that, you know, that ends up being the second loss on their schedule that essentially derails them from being a college football playoff uh, contestant going into next year. Uh, outside of those two concerns, obviously, Oregon does a really good job on the recruiting trail, finishing sixth nationally, uh, which was a bump up from 11th the year before. So they obviously got better. They finished first in the Pac-12 again. Uh, but like I said, Oregon, for me, I would bet the over. Uh, the nine, I think they can get to 10. I think they can even get, you know, I think they can get to 10. I think 10 is what I'm comfortable with uh, because they play Ohio State and because maybe they do lose to Washington. Maybe they do slip up here. I think 10 and two is a good record for them that going into next year. So I'm confident with saying Oregon will go over that nine point uh, or that nine win margin and get to the 10 win and, and compete for the Pac-12. Uh, if they can get to 11, they're going to be a college play, uh, college football playoff uh, possibility, depending on how good or bad they show against uh, Ohio State. All right, let's go over to their in-state rival, Oregon State. What are they calling the civil? They used to call that the Civil War, right? What are they calling yeah. it now, Nick? The Civil Disagreement or something? Oh, uh, come on! Sure. No I'm way! Not sure. I, I, I've only Look been up, here. Xavier. Only been here about a week, but uh, it has <laughs> yeah. come up in conversation. You should know it. That's your home <laughs> state now. So, That's right. uh, but I know. I I think they changed the name, kind of like the Red River Shootout. Now is the Red River Rivalry. So mm. I may be wrong, but I thought maybe they uh, uh, changed the name right. of it. That sounds right. But yeah, I'll, 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 we'll find out. Last year, Oregon State finished two and five. They did beat Oregon, and they were never blown out. They lost to Washington, Utah, and Stanford. All three of those teams by a combined fifteen points. So. Uh, there is some upside on this Oregon State team. DK's got them at five. We also have them at five and seven, favored to win four town edges in two. So what do we think about the Beavs for this year, Nick? I think Oregon State is, is actually the, the, the more correct version of what people think Cal is. Uh, just sort of the, the feeling I get when people talk about Cal, like, oh, yeah, they're kind of, uh, you know, they can overachieve. They're so well coached and and, and all that. I, I feel like Oregon State actually, uh, you know, takes that and, and, and is a little bit, I don't know, a little, little more uh, correct in, in describing Oregon State. They lost their running backs coach this past year. He's only the second assistant to leave since Jonathan Smith was hired. Uh, you know, Cal had a few different assistants leave this year. They've replaced coordinators, things like that. Uh, Oregon State, you know, similarly uh, doesn't do anything too out of the ordinary uh, schematically, uh, certainly on defense. I mean, they're, they, you know, pretty simple, like we were just talking about with Cal. But more often than not, guys are lined up correctly. Guys, you know, are, are playing their assignment pretty well. They just don't always maybe have the, the talent to execute exactly what they want, or sometimes they're, you know, just going to be in a situation where they are uh, an underdog in a one-on-one -on -one situation or, or what have you, where the, the better player on the other team is just in a position to make a play against sort of a, an inferior uh, player or, or unit or opponent, what have you. Uh, but, you know, they, they, I think more often than not are a team that's not really going to hurt themselves and, and then they can pop up and, pull off a big win like they did last year against Oregon. And, and they can certainly, uh, you know, give teams a real headache like they did in, you know, those, those losses that you mentioned by a combined uh, 15 points against some of the better teams in the league. They played a really difficult schedule last season, um, you know, played 
uh, obviously the, the Pac-12 champion in Oregon played uh, the Pac-12 North champion in, in Washington. Uh, Stanford was much improved uh, by the end of last season. Utah was improved at the end of last season when they, you know, both of them played Oregon State. Arizona State, we just talked about, uh, was really clicking at the end of the year. So, you know, they, they are uh, tested. They played a difficult schedule and played it pretty well, even though they only won two games. Uh, and then this year, it, it eases up just a little bit. I mean, they do still play USC in, uh, you know, uh, the the crossover uh, South opponent. They do play Arizona State again, but they pick up Colorado. That is a game that, that you know, probably uh, even on the road, I expect Oregon State uh, at worst to be a coin flip. We have them as a, a one-point favorite right now. Uh, but I think, you know, the schedule – sets up a little bit better it's just you know is the personnel going to be there because they they lost some talented players they lost jamar jefferson who was one of the better running backs in college football he was drafted in in the seventh round last season uh lost you know some key performers in the uh defensive back seven as well nation wright was their highest drafted player third rounder uh but isaiah dunn uh also a, a starting corner and then hemelkar rashid who you know was was uh an all-american in 2019 one of the most productive pass rushers in, in college football uh ends up moving on and, and was undrafted but is certainly uh you know a player that they will miss but you worry a little bit, uh, you know, who's going to take over for Jefferson. It looks like Deshaun Fenwick, a transfer from South Carolina, sort of has the inside track to that. He's a bigger back. Uh, pretty much the all the running backs on their roster are bigger backs, uh, at least as, as far as, you know, our depth chart shows right now. But Fenwick being 230, uh, B.J. Baylor at 210, Teron Madison 213, Newell, Isaiah Newell 215. So, you know, uh, are they going to be able to, to get some of the explosive plays that they had last year under uh, Jefferson, who's you know, certainly not small, but but at times was able to break, you know, break off some explosive runs. I wonder if they're going to be able to get that. But solid offensive line. All five guys are back. Two of them former Pac-12, all Pac-12 performers. A unit that ranked 24th in our O-line performance ratings. Uh, you know, so so hopefully they will be able to run the football uh, pretty well. I mean, this is a team that ranked 32nd in our off, uh, rushing offensive team performance last season. Uh, they had to get a little creative at the end of last year. Some of those close losses, they didn't have Tristan Jebbia available, their starting quarterback, who was injured at the end of the Oregon game. So, you know, perhaps they would have uh, been in a better position to actually pull off uh, some wins against Utah, Stanford, and Arizona State if Jebbia was at, at uh, full strength. I've, I've seen conflicting reports so far in fall camp. I've heard, uh, you know, seen one one day say, oh, he's, he's close to 100%. He's going to be ready to go. And I've seen some others that say, you know, still not uh, fully cleared. We have him listed as probable, but he had a, a pretty significant hamstring injury last season that, that obviously something that's uh, he's still got to work through. Uh, but they did solidify the position by bringing in uh, Sam Neuer to, to if not, uh, start if Jebby is, you know, still going to be limited, uh, to at least be a solid backup option. And then Chance Nolan got three starts last season as well. So I think they're going to be okay there. 
defensively, you know, they suffered some personnel losses as we discussed, but Avery Roberts uh, is off to a great start after uh, transferring a couple of years ago, was an all pack 12 type performer last season. The defensive line really, really, really struggled, ranked 123rd in our D-line performance ratings. Uh, two starters are back, but the interior, uh, and they play you know, a three-man front as a base, so uh, all, all of their defensive linemen can sort of be considered interior, but their, their you know, nose guard, nose tackle, zero technique, whatever you call it, that, that's sort of the area uh, I think of, of biggest concern. It looks like they're going to be relying on Keontae Shad, who's a, a first-year transfer from Minnesota maybe to hold down that spot, but it's, it's certainly an area where they, they've lacked depth. They lack size on the, the current uh, depth chart. So a little bit concerned about that. Uh, and, and then, you know, losing some talented players in the secondary, but they did bring in Elijah Jones, a transfer from Kansas, who was, you know, yeah, the Kansas defense was uh, not very good last year, but he was one of their higher rated players, uh, sort of an underrated recruit, I think. Uh, and, and then putting him in, in a group that's got, uh, you know, three returning starters and a couple of other guys that played significant numbers of snaps as well. I, I think they're going to be okay. And, and, you know, they don't do anything crazy. They do blitz uh, at a pretty high percentage, uh, top 20 in, in blitz percentage at 44%. Again, according to PFF's numbers from last year, but they're going to be fundamentally sound. I think they've got consistency in the coaching uh, staff. They were able to uh, prove that they could play with the best teams in the Pac-12 last season, and then you know, with a, a little bit more manageable schedule this year, even though our numbers aren't anywhere off the charts. I mean, we have uh, you know five projected. Uh, wins just in our, our overall add up all the individual game projected winning percentages. But there are a couple of toss ups in there that, you know, if you get uh, a coin flip one way or the other, this is a team that absolutely, I think, can uh, get back to a bowl game, would be their first bowl since 2013, I believe. So, you know, right now we've got them as less than a one point underdog against Washington State, less than one point against Cal. Uh, you know, they're, they're certainly uh, pretty heavy underdogs against USC, Washington, and Utah, but they were able to knock off Oregon last year. It's, it's not completely unheard of uh, that they could pick off one of those teams. So take care of business against Colorado, take care of business, uh, you know, against uh, – uh, we have them as a slight favorite against Stanford. The non-conference is manageable. Uh, I don't necessarily expect – uh, a bowl, but I, I think this absolutely uh, is a team that could get there. So, you know, our our model, which I trust more than my own personal instinct, is much lower on Oregon State uh, coming in under that, you know, DraftKings win total of five in all three of, of our models. So, you know, I, I, I can't... Uh, I guess, get too optimistic about it. But I, I have a pretty good feeling that we're going to see uh, some improvement in the win column from Oregon State. I think some of those close losses are going to turn maybe into close wins this year. And it, it absolutely would not be a shock for 
uh, Oregon State to, to overachieve and get to six wins. But, uh, you know, the numbers aren't quite there, but I do think this is a team that is in a program that is sort of trending in the right direction and is on pretty stable footing and perhaps might even be, uh, like I said, to start a, a little a little better version of Cal. I, I think this is a program to watch in, in years to come, and it you know, very well could uh, provide a few surprises this year as well. What do we think of Oregon State here, Xavier? Do you think that they're good enough to make a bowl possibly this year? Yeah, I, I think they are. What I will say about the schedule, it's very manageable. Uh, really, they just have two pockets in there where they kind of get the best teams in the Pac-12 back-to-back weeks. You know, they play USC and in Washington in back-to-back weeks, and they finish their season with Arizona State and Oregon in back-to-back weeks. Outside of that, it's really a manageable schedule. They're non-conference. I think they can go 3-0 and in. Uh, they get Hawaii in Corvallis, which is huge because traveling to Hawaii sucks uh, as far as sleep and any kind of rhythm is concerned. Um, so that's a that's a plus. Uh, they should beat Idaho and, and at Purdue. Uh, I think will be a fun game to watch at the very least. But I think they they, they should win that ball game. Uh, then they get at Washington State after those two pockets of uh, uh, USC and Washington. Excuse me. And I think they could be four and two by their bye week. Um, if they are, I, this is a team that can absolutely uh, win two games in, in the remaining of their schedule. They've got Utah, Cal, Colorado, Stanford, Arizona State, Oregon. I think out of those six games, they can absolutely win. Uh, win a couple. Luckily for them, also on the back half of their schedule, on the second half, uh, they play four home games. They get four of their last six games at home, which is also a plus for them. Uh, so I think that, you know, they, they can build up a rhythm. I don't know if this is normal, but they have nine home games uh, this season. Uh, so that, 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 that yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they have Hawaii, Idaho, Washington, Utah, Stanford, uh, Arizona State. Um, I only count six. Okay, excuse me. It is six. I just saw. A lot, I just started seeing a lot more Oregon on the schedule, and I was just like, I'm losing it here, uh, because oh, one of them is one of them is at Oregon, so that's why I was just seeing a bunch of Oregon. So yeah, uh, but I do like the amount of home games that they have on the back end for their schedule. That allows you at least off of the bye week and after what should be a pretty good first half of the year. At worst, I think they go with three and three. Uh, they give you some confidence to understanding that you're going to be playing at home. You got to you have a consistency there. Um, and in their last three games, like I said, are at home, even though they are against Arizona State, Oregon, and Stanford. They may just need one win out of those three to get to their first bowl game. And you were correct, Nick, since 2013. Uh, heck, let's just get their first, you know, 500 season. I think that was also since 2013. So let's just, let's you know, for, for Oregon State. So I think at this point, you know, they're they're trending in the right direction. I think last year was definitely a, a step there, and I think they can make a, a, another step. So I will say that they go over the five uh, because I think their schedule, like I said, is very manageable uh, from, from a, a win-loss record standpoint. My only concern is their quarterback situation. I know Sam Noyers came over, uh, but regardless, it, it, it seems like Tristan Jebbia might be the guy if he's healthy, uh, but if he isn't, there's going to be a little bit of growing pains there. Luckily for uh, Neuer, he does start the year off against Purdue, Hawaii, and Idaho, so he allows allows him to build some confidence as well, even if he's not able, uh, even if uh, Jebbia is not able to go right away. Uh, so I, I like Oregon State this year. I, I, I really do. To answer you your question before I finish, it's unnamed right now, the rivalry. Um, it's just called the Oregon-Oregon oh. State rivalry at the moment. Um yeah, they mutually degree, agreed last year will be the last year. It'll be called the Civil War. And okay. uh, yeah, as of right now, there is no name. 
We got we got to get a new name. Nick, you're in charge of that, of course, as the new yeah, organ native. So, uh, yeah, you you are in charge of creating a new name. Uh, you have until one. that game to come up with a name. So you have until <laughs> what is that? November twenty eighth to to give us a uh, November twenty yeah. seventh to give us a name for that for for that rivalry. Let's go over to Stanford here. We have ranked at uh, 69 overall. Stanford started slow by losing to Oregon and Colorado last year, but made the best of a tough situation by winning four close road games, and they finished 4-2. and two. Uh, We have them at 4-8 and eight this year, uh, favored to only win in two. Talent edges in six, though, which kind of balanced that out. But uh, we want Stanford to get back to winning ways. Doesn't look like uh, it's in the cards for this year, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm personally a little low on Stanford. And, and you know, I, I think at least once a show, I bring up a team that in the past really was a big headache uh, for, for us, per, you know, as our, our model uh, projection. And, and a couple of years ago, it was Stanford. We were much, much higher on Stanford than most. Uh, had them as, a, you know, top 15 type team or, or something had talent edges all across the board and they just didn't, didn't perform. And, and so hopefully uh, we've learned from, from that. And, and I'm, you know, have made, I've mentioned this several times, I've made some changes to how we weigh to experience and things like that in part because of when we missed on Stanford a couple of years ago, but you know, last year was relatively impressive. I mean, they had one, one home game, one out of uh, six games were at home. They weren't actually even, you know, they were one of those teams that were somewhat nomadic uh, for, for large portions of the year. I mean, there were, what, photos of them practicing in a city park in Seattle because they were just living on the road or were, uh, you know, getting to places, uh, you know, not going home in between games and things like that. Uh, so for them to you know, have a, a winning season for them to win some very close games and, you know, against solid opponents, uh, obviously the big rivalry game with Cal, but then they knocked off Washington. They were, you know, Stanford is what uh, was standing in between Washington and undefeated season. UCLA had, had been a much improved team by the end of the year and Stanford was able uh, to win that game high scoring game in overtime. Uh, so it, it was a pretty impressive performance, but I do think Stanford in a lot of ways was similar to Colorado last season where maybe the record ended up a, a little bit better uh, than they really were. Um, you know, they, they, uh, the games against Cal and Washington were, uh, not huge statistical outliers, but had a, a 51% post-game win expectancy against Cal, 44% against Washington. So, you know, statistically, you would expect to win one of those and lose the other, and, and they were able to win both. So maybe they're, you know, a, a tiny bit fortunate to have gotten to four wins, uh, but, you know, they, they, were able, they were able to get there. They showed some improvement. Offensively, big improvement offensively. Uh, you know, they, they were a top 30 offense last season in our team performance ratings, 35th uh, passing, only 66th rushing, but they made huge, huge strides in, you know, success rate on the ground, EPA on the ground, stuff like that. Um, they, they were a much improved team. It's Stanford is a very, very interesting offense to think about because and, and I again you know I, I, I do love 
a quote and I love reading what, what people are saying. And on the one hand, I saw an anonymous quote uh, where they said they've built this famous reputation for how big they get in terms of personnel that can line up and maul you, but they're starting to show spread past tendencies. You can't see it on, or excuse me, you can see it on film. They're more comfortable throwing out of the spread. And that was from uh, the Athlon magazine. But then looking in the athletic, uh, and I certainly think there is some, you know, going back to that quote, there certainly is something to be said there that people just assume Stanford is still this, you know, team that puts five tight ends on the field, seven linemen, and, and you know, just tries to run it down your throat. And that's not exactly what they've been the last couple of years. They, they certainly have been uh, opening up, up quite a bit more. Uh, but last year they were able to, to find more success with Austin Jones, Nathaniel Pete. They've got EJ Smith, uh, you know, Emmett Smith's uh, son uh, there in the mix as well. So they, you know, they've got some playmakers uh, that they're able to, to, you know, use to run the football probably could be their strongest position group, but that's just not necessarily what they've been anymore. Then going back to in June, uh, the athletic, you know, state of the program piece, they interviewed David Shaw and, and he had a quote, this is probably the most complete offense. If we can stay healthy that we've had in a while, we should be able to be balanced. We should be able to put seven offensive linemen on the field and run the ball. We should be able to put five receivers on the field and do damage. So, uh, you know, we will still see those big position, you know, personnel groups on the field. But according to David Shaw, you know, they can also go to the complete other extreme as well. So uh, they have been moving more into that, you know, spread offense, uh, passing attack type, you know, system in, in years past. We'll see if, if they're really able to uh, kind of, run the gamut between being that big smash mouth uh, type offense, but also uh, spread it out and, and attack as well. I'm not personally sold that, that the personnel is quite there. Um, they of course have to figure out the quarterback position. They lost uh, Davis Mills, who's a third round pick. They lost uh, some talent offensive lineman Walker Little, uh, who did not play last season, but um, you know was a second round pick. Uh, they also lost Foster Sorrell, who was you know multi year starter who went undrafted, but but signed as a free agent with Baltimore. So uh, you know Drew Dahlman, starting center, uh, was a fourth round pick of of the Falcons. So they're they're you know having to replace some really really uh, important players up front. Uh, they're having to replace a quarterback as well. Both Tanner McKee and Jack West were, you know, very highly rated players coming out of high school, but have had very, very limited opportunities. And Jack West, you know, did get a chance to start a couple of games uh, in the past and, and, in my opinion, wasn't super impressive. So I do expect, you know, McKee might have the, the shot to win that job by the end of the year, certainly, if not at the beginning. But one of his top performers, uh, you know, potential playmakers at wide receiver, Michael Wilson, have not heard, you know, very promising things about his health. Apparently he suffered uh, a foot injury last year that uh, held him out of, of at least one game, if not two, and held him out of the spring. And, and from what I read earlier in the summer, you know, might be something that that is going to carry over this year as well. So I've got some concerns about that. I've got also some concerns. They lost Simi Fihoko, you know, really, really talented player left after 
uh, his redshirt sophomore year to go to the NFL, was drafted by the Cowboys. Uh, they lost their starting tight end in Scooter Harrington, who was an undrafted free agent pickup from Chicago. Connor Weddington, undrafted free agent. So, you know, there's a lot of, of moving parts. I feel better about the running back position, but everywhere else, you know, there's, there's significant uh, questions offensively. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able, you know, really to, to build on that side of the ball super, super well uh, carrying over to from last season. And then defensively, they were, they were pretty bad. I mean, they were 111th in overall team performance. They were 100th in rushing team performance, 90th against the pass. But the, the, I'm a little surprised actually that they were still in double digits against the pass because uh, in yards allowed per pass attempt, they ranked 107th. Uh, you know, they were 117th in success rate allowed. They were 120th in EPA per play uh, defensively. You know, this was a team that, that uh, I, I noticed in the PFF preview, they mentioned that their cornerbacks were the lowest rated cornerbacks in, uh, in all of, college football last season i mean they, you know they have struggled uh defensively the last two years and and specifically uh to hold opposing you know offenses in check throwing the football so they're gonna have to make some make some strides there and even though a lot of the big names uh and all their their players who were drafted who played last season were offensive players paulson odobo uh, Adebo, excuse me, was was a third round pick, but he opted out last season. So, you know, even though on paper they have a lot more to replace on offense, this is a situation where, again, seems like once a show we mentioned, uh, hey, they're pretty experienced on this side of the ball. They were bad last year. Are they going to get better just because of experience, or is this a situation where you know they're they're just not that good, even even if guys are are a little bit more experienced or even if they're bringing back a lot of that production. So I've, I've got some real concerns about Stanford, uh, you know, just from a roster construction standpoint, the recruiting has been trending in the wrong direction. The depth I think is, is, you know, not what they want it to be. And then the last point, uh, Stanford plays zero games against non-power five opponents this year. And their schedule ranks second as far as the second toughest schedule in our calculations uh, this season. So, you know, couple all that and we project four wins, you know, I mean, that that uh, looking at DraftKings projected win total, you think, wow, you know, they went four and two last year. Of course, they're going to be able to get over that four. Uh, but we have them favored in two. Our stats only model, which usually Stanford performs pretty well uh, in that, it, it has an opportunity to to you know uh, kind of overcome uh, some some talent issues if there are some. Uh, but even you know the talent edges and, and Stanford traditionally gets a uh, several really really highly rated players, but they've lost a lot of those guys to the NFL. They've lost a few to transfer here and there as well. Uh, for them only to to have a talent edge in six. You know, and even that number seems a little bit high against this schedule. So I'm not very optimistic about Stanford. Four wins seems about right. Uh, if if they truly are, you know, the most complete offense that, that they've had under David Shaw, uh, if the defense can improve just because of, uh, you know, experience or, or maybe a little more stability 
uh, you know, practicing and their travel situation, all that, you know, certainly this is a team that could get back to a bowl game. I, I, I struggle to say that absolutely Stanford is, is going to be bad. is going to lose four games or win four games or fewer, but right now just sort of, you know, adding up all the, the roster concerns, the schedule, everything four four wins seems about right. So, uh, you know, Stanford being a top 70 team might seem really low, but you know, I, I, I think I believe it. I mean, Xavier, Nick mentioned it. It is a brutal schedule for uh, Stanford here. Uh, we expect a lot, but they haven't delivered in a while. So um, what do you think about Stanford for 2021, Xavier? Yeah, it's going to be a rough year. <clears throat> this is a team in Stanford. And this is one of those uh, spring games that I watched and I came away thinking, Stanford looks smaller than they used to. It's kind of the same thing about said about Florida State uh, in, in last week's episode. They just they just the the, the big just massive players that you thought were going to be you know that that were going to go pro. I just didn't see enough of those guys. You know the JJ Arcega White sides that they had in the past, the Walker Littles, even KJ Costello to an extent. You know. Although he wasn't massively tall, but he was still, you know, muscular. Even Christian McCaffrey that just popped out on your screen for me, that was something, you know, that I, I didn't really see when I was watching their spring game this year. And, and that's exactly what Nick alluded to. Recruiting-wise, they haven't been great. This year was one of their worst recruiting classes in, in the last couple of years. They, they finished 41st nationally. They finished 7th in the Pac-12, which I think talks about how well the rest of the Pac-12 has gotten uh, at recruiting. And, and, and I just – I wonder if the maybe the, the the lore or the you know the pizzazz that you know Stanford had as as a consistent team atop the Pac-12 has maybe worn off a little bit. Um, you know, you talked about it, Scott. They haven't been the most dominant of programs over the last couple of years, and it really doesn't take much in college football for you to go from on top of the mountain to back into the middle slash bottom. It doesn't it, re- it doesn't really change. It doesn't have to. You know, we saw LSU literally go from winning a national championship to one of the biggest head scratchers of all time last year. So it, it doesn't take long in college football for that for that to happen. And Stanford really has to correct this quickly, or the rest of the Pac-12 is going to pass them. We just talked about how Oregon State's going to be a better program. We've talked about earlier in this in this episode uh, how we think how Colorado did better last year, and we think that they're at, at the very least trending in a better direction. So they've got, you know, Arizona State has gotten better. We talked about how Arizona, at the very least, is doing better with their off the field. So if if Stanford's not able to to put together at least a competitive year, and with you guys talking about their schedule, absolutely, the only game in their first, you know, there's only two games in their first six that I I give them a real chance at winning, or, or three, excuse me. That's Vanderbilt, UCLA, and, and at Washington State, uh, and really, that's that's tough when you when you talk about the fact that they play USC, US, um, Oregon. Uh, Arizona State and Kansas State uh, in, in a neutral game that Kansas State game is, but it's in Texas, so it's not really a neutral site game, if you ask me. Um, you know, I just don't see where this Stanford team is able to put together enough, you know, uh, put together enough good wins for me to get to that, to, to go over. You know, I, four wins is exactly where I think they're at. I think that this is a four-win ball club at best. Uh, I think second half of the year, they might be able to, to put some pieces together. Uh, they might be able to, you know, beat Utah, Oregon State, and Cal back to back to back. But that's a big stretch uh, for, me, for me to even go towards. So I think, you know, four wins is what I'm comfortable saying. So that would keep them exactly where uh, DraftKings has them. Yeah. Yeah. Where DraftKings has them. So I think this is a four win ball club. They've got to get 
better on the recruiting trail. They, they've got to be able to bring in those guys. And it doesn't necessarily mean they have to bring in the Walker Littles of the world, you know, these, these perennial five stars uh, to get better. But they've just, you know, they've got to recruit the, the, the state of California better. You know, you look at their their their, their class in 2021, and they have more kids coming from Texas uh, and Georgia than they did from the state of California. And, and that should tell you how, how, you know, how they're changing the way that they're recruiting, not for the better right now. You look at their class in 2022. Currently speaking, they have more players from Tennessee and, and the same amount of players from Colorado that they do from California. So they've got to get back to recruiting the state of California well. I understand the academic restraints that come with Stanford, but that never stopped them in the past from putting together really good ball clubs. So they have to be able to go ahead and do that again, uh, or they're going to lose their, you know, that, you know, pizzazz that they had uh, of being a team that consistently finished the top to Pac-12 year in and year out. All right, let's go over to UCLA. Uh, who we have ranked 25. Uh, they did finish with a three and four record last year, but uh, every single loss was decided, decided by a single possession. So that may not have been indicative of the progress that UCLA showed in 2020, Nick. But even ranking them this high, they got a brutal schedule. We had them at seven and five. DK's number is seven. Favorite to win seven. Town edges an eight. So uh, tell us about UCLA. UCLA is one of those teams that I think to, you know, specifically watching them and, and seeing it on the field looked like a much improved team, looked like a team that uh, was making strides. I thought, you know, the quarterback position, Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, looked uh, more comfortable, looked improved, looked in more, you know, uh, a little bit more consistent. I mean, he still does have a little bit of boomer bust. Uh, to his his game, but uh, has been in in Chip Kelly system now for a few years. Has gotten you know twenty four games as a starter. Uh, was just a little bit more uh, in control, I think, and you know that helped UCLA uh, be a more consistent offense, and and then as a result, I think a more consistent team. Uh, it's it's really kind of interesting to look at program trajectory we just got done talking about stanford of course and thought oh you know the, the recruiting is going in the wrong direction and, and you know there are some other uh programs like oregon where things have, have you know flipped and, and recruiting is getting better and better and better well for a while ucla under jim mora was a team that was recruiting at a really high level i mean in in 2015 and our recruiting strength numbers uh they had the fourth best class in the country uh, the two years after they were putting in, you know, back-to-back -to -back top 20 classes. So, uh, you know, since then, and, and since Chip Kelly took over, one of the big complaints that sort of went along with teams that just weren't winning enough on the field was that, you know, Kelly is not uh, recruiting at a high level. I mean, we've got their classes uh, during that time in, in 2019 ranked 46th. Uh, in 2020, 31st. Last year, uh, the most recent class, 31st. So, and those are probably line up fairly similar with with the 247 ratings. But um, you know, this is right now a team that is built based on its recruiting past uh, without top 25 talent. Um, they've been able to to overcome that a little bit. And last year, you know, the production that that guys like 
Dorian Thompson Robinson, Britton Brown at running back, Greg Dulcich at tight end, who, you know, exploded to become one of the uh, most productive tight ends in the country. You know, our roster strength numbers show that this is a team that, that per- perhaps has top 20 type talent. But I think part of that is, uh, you know, there might have been a case to be made that Jim Mora was chasing stars a little bit, was going after some players that were maybe a little too uh, highly rated by the the recruiting sites. And there's some complaint that Chip Kelly maybe doesn't do enough of that and is looking uh, too much for kind of under the radar players and, and guys who uh, just aren't, you know, uh, big time names in, in recruiting circles or whatever. Uh, but he has unearthed you know, some, some under the radar diamond in the rough type guys, and they seem to be developing players pretty well. So I, it's interesting to me to think that, you know, the results obviously have not been there, but I think we can see some sort of slow progress. And last year they were able to put up, you know, some impressive performances. The offense did take a pretty big step forward uh, statistically in in some ways. I mean, they ranked 31st overall offensively in in our team performance numbers, 33rd uh, in rushing offense, and and then 50th passing. And, and, you know, fairly small sample, but uh, we saw – Dorian Thompson Robinson and Greg Dulcich hook up for some big plays pretty consistently. They did, you know, UCLA does a pretty good job, I think, of uh, scheming things up to to get their uh, best players the football. And it's frustrated fans at at times that what we're seeing at UCLA is not the same type of, you know, up-tempo and and, uh, spread, uh, you know, sort of attack that, that we saw at Oregon. But I think also in some ways, you know, the personnel just wasn't there. And, and Chip Kelly is trying to do some things that, uh, you know, to, to, to work different personnel groups, different, uh, uh, you know, tempo and, and things like that, different than what he was at Oregon, just because he doesn't have that overall team speed, doesn't quite have the the talent there. And, and you know, it seems to be maybe slowly getting there, at least with how they are mixing in some, you know, fairly highly rated transfers. Jack Charbonnet from uh, Michigan was a, a high, high four-star recruit a couple of years ago. Didn't really put it all together on the field at Michigan, but uh, seems like he's impressive uh, in practices and, and workouts and things like that. Uh, so, you know, mix in a guy like that. Mix in some Juco uh, players who came in and, and performed really, really well last season, like Mitchell Agood, the, uh, uh, you know, edge uh, defender, outside linebacker type who stepped up, had a big year, six production points, according to uh, our calculations. Uh, so, you know, uh, Caleb Johnson at, at linebacker, very similar, stepped in, became a starter out of junior college and and uh, is somebody that, that you know, helped uh, the, that defense, you know, uh, take a little bit of a, a step forward. Still a lot of room for improvement. 69th overall in defensive team performance last year, but uh, is helping to, to solidify the roster a little bit, continue to develop. And, and I think, though it is a little bit slow, moving in the right direction. So, you know, UCLA is, is kind, of, it, it, kind of tricky to, to uh, pinpoint uh, the offensive line. Solid but not spectacular last year. Top 50 unit in team performance, but all five starters are back. I like Kyle Phillips, uh, their number one receiver. Sounds like, 
you know, in addition to uh, not having a, a, you know, real threat maybe as a second receiver, but Chase Coda, who is that guy on the depth chart, uh, is dealing with some injuries. Deon, uh, Delon Hurt, uh, you know, a guy maybe third or fourth on the depth chart dealing with injuries right now. Colson Yankoff was a, a quarterback recruit at Washington, moved to receiver after transferring uh, UCLA. He's also dealing with some injuries. So, you know, they're, they're, they certainly have personnel challenges. Depth has always been an issue. Some injuries have, have been a little bit of an issue. And right now, though it doesn't, I don't know that we have to concern ourselves or, or get too, too worried just yet. But as of uh, Saturday, August 8th, Dorian Thompson Robinson has not participated in fall practice. Uh, the word that Chip Kelly used was that he's unavailable. Uh, that's a word that, you know, he's used a lot since he got to UCLA. And sometimes it described a guy who, you know, was day to day with something, but it's also described some guys who are out for long stretches of time. Uh, he did use the word. I saw, I saw, you know, some real sleuthing on, uh, on Twitter reporters and other fans and things, he did use the, the P word protocol. So everybody's thinking, okay, all right, maybe, maybe this is a, you know, a COVID situation. Maybe uh, DTR is just, you know, unavailable for now, but we'll be back soon. Uh, so, you know, whatever it is, hopefully it's nothing serious, but I, I, I we need to keep an eye on that because uh, behind Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, they've got Chase Griffin, who stepped in, started a couple games last year. Ethan Garbers was a pretty highly rated recruit at, at Washington, who's transferred in. But I think I think we could probably all agree that that uh, DTR has, uh, you know, him performing uh, this year raises UCLA's ceiling uh, a good bit higher than maybe those two guys. So hopefully he'll be able to be back. Maybe by the time you listen to this, he'll have already practiced. Um, but something something to watch but uh, i do think that that dtr you know showed some improvement next year still a long way to go i think before we can uh really count him as one of the best quarterbacks in college football but he has that potential and then mix in a couple of you know real talented guys and then chip kelly is good at uh sort of manipulating his offense and, and play calling to get the ball to his top players sometimes maybe even to a fault uh that you uh, usc game last year they were really kind of in control early on and then the play calling got pretty repetitive uh led to a couple of uh you know maybe forced throws they had a big pick six was it were you know losing uh lost control of the game late and ended up losing that game uh so so maybe at times it gets a little bit too obvious who's going to get the ball uh or you know calling the same plays over and over but uh, I think more often than not, I, I trust Chip Kelly to, to uh, put his team in, in the best position to be successful as long as, as uh, the personnel is there, and that's still a little bit of a, a work in progress. But uh, UCLA is a team that a lot of people expect to, you know, are calling a breakout candidate, sort of a dark horse, Pac-12 title contender. They are in our top 25 uh, which is is uh, you know pretty good company to be in, um, but they're they're still going to have to improve a lot I think to really get up to the you know uh, to legitimately be a contender in the Pac-12 South. 
I think the schedule is a little too tough with crossover games against Washington and Oregon. Uh, LSU in the non-conference is going to be very, very tough September 4th, but we'll get a good long look on August 28th against Hawaii. They'll be playing in, in one of those few week zero games. Uh, maybe we will see a, a UCLA team that is ready to make a big jump after maybe a couple of, of small, slow uh, you know, years of progress you know, maybe they could get there. They, they do have a lot of promise, uh, but very tough schedule, fifth in our strength of schedule ratings, and, you know, just haven't quite proven it or at least consistently proven uh, that they're able to, to, you know, beat the best teams in the conference week in and week out. So I think maybe maybe uh, this is a team we could certainly be talking about as a uh, Pac-12 South team to beat in 2022 this year, if everything clicked uh, and, and sort of fell into place, it's it's possible. But I, I think that this is a team that is uh, going to a bowl, eight wins in that area it is definitely possible. But probably is a you know six and six, seven and five type team more often than not. What do you think, Xavier? Because UCLA, uh, I mean, like Nick said, they could take this next step. I'm just not 100% sure that they're there. And even if they do take the next step, are they going to beat Arizona State and Washington and Oregon and Utah? And they get Washington, Oregon, and Utah all in a row. Uh, and Arizona State is two weeks before that, only sandwiched by Arizona. So that's kind of a tough uh, stretch there. And then they do play USC, of course, on November 20th as well. So uh, UC UCLA, even if they make the next step, are they good enough to compete in the Pac-12? I'm going to say no. Uh, I think this team, like Nick said, they may be a year off. Um, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson does have two years of eligibility left, so there is an opportunity that he comes back. Um, if he has a really good year, that might be in the balance. Uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about Ethan Garbers uh, already. I, I've you know a couple of articles about how he's impressing uh, throughout the summer uh, while he's taking those reps while uh, Dorian Tops Robinson has has not played um, so far. Although he did do an interview two days ago, you know, saying that he's he's ready to go and talking about you know focusing on building team chemistry. So um, with that being the set, with that being said, their schedule for me is weird. For for one, they have two bye weeks this year. Uh, I, I think that's also that's always an odd adage to any season, as as you do get two season or two uh, weeks to prepare uh, for for the season. And when when you look at their schedule, you know I think LSU for me is going to be a huge barometer game for them. It gives me an idea with that game being at home how good they're going to be. You know, LSU is, is a team that at the very least we understand that LSU talent wise it, it is to the level. Uh, be uh, above a uh, UCLA. So if UCLA is able to win that game against LSU, that would be a really that that would be that first step in showing me. Okay, maybe they might be able to do something this year. I also love the fact that outside of the Washington game, they get pretty much every game, quote unquote, uh, in the state of, at home. You know, yes, USC is an away game, but they're they're right down the road from one another. Um, you know, but outside of that, they get Oregon at home, they get Arizona State at home. So I really like that as well. They also get a bye week before that USC game. Uh, they get the, you know their bye week uh, November sixth, and then they play Colorado, USC, and California to end their year. This is a team that I genuinely think when you when, when you talk about uh, UCLA can win more than seven games. Uh, my biggest thing with them is consistency, uh, and not having too many games where they are reluctant to finish. Last year that was their biggest problem. They could have been they they had at least two games 
let slipped right through their hands because they weren't able to finish those ball games. And I think this year you're expecting, you know, UCLA team to learn from their mistakes. I understand that they can finish. And it's going to help that they have Zach Charbonnet, that they have him in the backfield to maybe put those games away where they wouldn't, didn't have necessarily the running game maybe last year to do so. They definitely have more of a more talent back there that maybe that allows them to put the game away. So I, I like that from that standpoint. I mean, this for me, you know, I, I can say all of the reasons why I like UCLA this year, it comes down to Dorian Thompson Robinson and whether or not he can make that step from, you know, uh, from talented kid who we all have seen put together, you know, great reps, but can we see them week in and week out on the field? You know, everybody raved about him coming out of the elite 11. That was years ago. Now it's time for him to take that talent that we all saw on the screen that year. And what we saw and what we've seen in glimpses at UCLA and put that together for a full package throughout a full season. Uh, And that's really where, where UCLA can go. You know, Nick's absolutely right. Chip Kelly doesn't have the same horses that he had at, at Oregon. So he slowed it down a little bit. He simplified it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think him himself, he thought he could run that offense anywhere. You know, he tried it not even at Oregon, but he tried it when he got to the NFL. And I think he realized a little bit, well, if I don't have the talent, I might not be able to run this offense. So he's dumbed it down a little bit, you know, and that's no slight to UCLA. But when you when everybody in Oregon in the skill position could run like a 4-3 slash 4-4 you're not going to find that everywhere in the country. You're just not. Uh, and, and so he has been able to dumb it down. And I think this year he, he you see him ramp it up a little bit with a quarterback that he can trust. I don't think you see the full-on Oregon offense. But if UCLA can get that consistency down, which has been a very which has been a hard thing for them to do, I think this is a team that can win eight games. Uh, I, I like their schedule. You know, Hawaii, I think they I, I think when you look at their schedule, Hawaii, they win LSU for me. I think they lose that ball game. But Fresno State, uh, Stanford. Arizona, Colorado, Cal, that gives them seven. And I think they can get an eighth one, whether that's over Utah. I I think they can get to that eight win margin. I think they can get over this year. But like I said, it all comes down to whether or not DTR takes that next step. And it just becomes more than just talent. All right, let's go over to USC, the second highest ranked team in the Pac-12 here, just slightly behind ASU. And last year, they did steal a victory from ASU. ASU had that wrapped up and choked it away. Uh, but then they ran the record 2-5-0 um, and o before falling to Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Their DK total is 8.5. We have them at 9-3. and Favored to win 10. Town edges in all 12. And, you know, with ASU's off-the-field stuff and some potential discipline coming down, USC is probably going to be a lot of people's favorite to win the Pac-12, Nick. Yeah, almost the entire offseason. I mean, we ran our first set of power rankings in what March, I think. Uh, and, and of course, been making you know constant roster updates and, and all of that, and then tweaking some things here and there. The last big update was uh, sort of turning the knob a little bit higher on our stats only model. And, uh, you know, USC was the highest ranked team basically that entire time until that final update uh, and, and Arizona state just sort of, you know, jumped up a, a few spots ahead of them. I think I'd be a little bit more comfortable if USC was ranked ninth in our power rankings and, and Arizona state was 11th, even though Arizona state at 11 seems still seems a little high, uh, but USC, I just, I, I feel a little more comfortable even though they've been a team that has underachieved, they've been a team that has, uh, you know, come up short 
last year had the opportunity to, you know, finally get back over the hump and, and win the Pac-12 under Clay Helton and, and then to lose that game, you know, gave some of the folks, uh, you know, on the outside a little bit more ammunition to, to uh, sort of say, hey, he's not the right guy and, and you know, isn't, isn't going to be the guy to get USC back to uh, that level of national prominence that they're, I think, certainly still capable of, but that we were used to in, in decades past. Um, you know, even though I think I would rather USC be our highest rated team, there's certainly, you know, still a, a, a roster, a program with a lot of question. Keaton Slovis uh, is a solid quarterback in 2019 when he was a true freshman, exploded onto the national scene, uh, was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the country. Last year, you know, there have been a few quarterbacks we've talked about today uh, who fall in this category, but just didn't show a lot of progress and in some cases showed regression. He's had some significant injuries. He's had a shoulder injury. He's had uh, what I believe an elbow injury, right? That that uh, is you know perhaps impacting it. Uh, he has admitted that he you know suffered from some uh, lack of confidence. Uh, arm strength is a little bit of an issue. Decision making is, is a bit of an issue. Again, I love the uh, you know anonymous coaches quote. The athletic. Uh, did them in, in their uh, preview series this year as well. But one uh, opposing coach said Slovis doesn't read coverage very well, gets flustered when you disguise the secondary. You wonder how well does he respond after he gets hit. Uh, he is accurate. He'll, he'll find some plays because he's pretty savvy, uh, but I think he's very inconsistent. And, and, you know, I think most of us would agree that inconsistency has just been something that's, that's uh, given him – Slovis specifically some trouble, and then USC, of course, uh, as an extension of that, you know, perhaps why they just haven't been able to to quite get, you know, to that uh, elite level is some inconsistency at, at the quarterback position. And it certainly doesn't help that at last year especially, but that they've come become so one-dimensional offensively. Uh, in our rushing offensive team performance rankings last year usc uh was 118th and you know they've got talented guys last year they had a a solid one-two duo at the running back position i think they ranked certainly in the top 10 in our our running back unit ratings last year uh but uh, you know they they just weren't able part of it you could blame the offensive line but part of it's just they you know became so one dimensional that they uh, we're just dropping back and, and you know putting the ball in Slovis's hands uh, more often than not and, and you know just kind of forgetting about the rushing game a little bit. They've brought in some transfers maybe to help with that. Keontae Ingram from Texas, Darwin Barlow from TCU, Stephen Carr is now transferred out, gone to Indiana, uh, but Vave Malapai is still there. Uh, Keenan Christen, who, who has a ton of speed, is still there. Um, you know, freshmen coming in as well, but this is still an offense that's built to be a pass first, pass second offense. Uh, Drake London is a, a big receiver, big body, uh, physical, you know, at the, the point of uh, attack, but also uh, after the catch. Uh, really, really like him, but they lost 
Brew McCoy to suspension. He's been suspended from all uh, team activities. Doesn't sound like he may play this year, uh, but they've you know recruited well. Gary Bryant Jr. was a, a five-star uh, type guy. Uh, who, who looks like, you know, maybe the number two guy on the depth chart. Kyle Ford has been injured the last couple of years, but he is similarly uh, talented. But then they brought in several transfers as, as options. Taj Washington, who flashed at times uh, at Memphis. Katie Nixon, who, who I think I expected maybe to have a bigger impact as a return man, but is a, you know, smaller, shiftier target transferring from Colorado uh, could, you know, hopefully step in and, and play a role there. Uh, Michael Jackson, I know is a, a freshman that they're very excited about. A lot of people, uh, you know, guys in the uh, uh, CFF and, and Debbie community are excited about his potential. Uh, and then Malcolm Epps from also from Texas, is kind of, uh, you know, I think certainly hasn't lived up to this level of comparison yet, but reminds me a little of Kyle Pitts. I mean, at a 6'6", 240, former receiver, athletically incredibly, incredibly gifted, uh, who maybe a change of scenery, you know, he's able to step up and, and become a real weapon at tight end. Uh, but they still have a you know returning starter in Eric uh, Kromiak as well, and, and brought in a really really tr- uh, talented transfer or excuse me talented true freshman in Michael Trigg as well. So you know they've got weapons, uh, they just haven't been able to to quite find the right balance offensively, uh, or at least if you're not going to be balanced and and be a pass first pass second type offense, they just haven't been good enough at it or consistent enough at it to uh, you know be untouchable offensively. So um, that I think is, is maybe what's holding them back. Maybe they'll be able to, to take another step forward. Hopefully Slovis is able to uh, rebuild his confidence, rebuild his, uh, you know, level of accuracy that he showed as a true freshman uh, because he certainly has a lot of weapons to work with defensively. They have more, I think to replace, I mean, J2 Fele uh, was a really underrated Defensive lineman, I think, ended up being a fourth-round pick last year. Uh, Marlon uh, Tupelotu, solid as well. You know, both of those guys were really highly rated in our individual player ratings. Uh, Talana Hufanga is one of my absolute favorite players in college football last season. Uh, for him, you know, losing his production at safety, but they moved him, you know, all around the uh, defense as well, is going to be difficult to replace. They do have Drake Jackson, who coming off the edge, I think is one of the best players in all of college football. Uh, they do have, you know, talented, experienced guys in the back seven, though I think, uh, you know, even though Chris Steele at corner has gotten uh, some all Pac-12 consideration in the past, I think in the secondary, they might not be quite as good as, as some of those players were rated coming out of high school, still have, I think, uh, some growth to do back there but you know position by position there are very few weak spots on the roster and it's always been the case at usc you know even in in recent years where they've really uh struggled but this is a team that could maybe should be considered the pac-12 favorite for most of the offseason we had them favored in all 12 regular season games uh talent edge is still in 12 the stats only model is is the one that sort of pulls them down just a little bit. 
They are underdogs in three games uh, in that model right now, but all three are four points or less. So USC, as always, is capable of beating every team on its schedule. It's just whether or not they can play up to that level of potential. Uh, And, you know, they've got some key pieces gone. Elijah Vera Tucker was a a top 15 pick uh, at left tackle. That's going to be difficult to replace. You know, Tyler Vaughns and and Amonra St. Brown, we thought maybe he had a chance to be uh, drafted a little bit higher. Uh, Vaughns was an undrafted free agent, but St. Brown goes in the fourth round. Still, those two guys caught a lot of passes, were very productive in their career there. So, you know, they're going to have to fill some key spots on both sides of the football. But I do still think that, you know, position by position, this is probably still the best uh, roster in the Pac-12. It's a top five roster in college football in our roster strength ratings. Uh, sixth on offense, 12th on defense. They just still are searching uh, for the right way to, to put it all together. And we haven't quite seen it yet. But, you know, as we've said in years past, maybe this is the year. It's, it's certainly possible. Nine wins seems very possible. Ten wins or more uh, also seems possible. So all of our numbers line up on the over the eight and a half. And I I think even though we have Arizona State a couple of spots higher, that this is this is the team to beat in the Pac-12 this year. Xavier, uh, do you agree with that? Is this the team to beat in, in uh, the Pac-12? It might be, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm I, I got a hot take here. I don't like Keaton Slovis. I have not liked Keaton Slovis for a very long time now. I, I I think he's a guy who relied on his receiver talent a little bit too much. Uh, the too many 50-50 balls for me. Uh, and watching his film, a, a little bit too much of go get it, uh, Amon Ross A. Brown, go get it, Tyler Vaughns, go get it, uh, you know Drake London. And not enough of, you know, putting the ball in, in smart places every time he's trying to throw the football. And you can even go back and watch this year's spring game. I mean, he was staring Drake down straight Drake London on pretty much his first two possessions out there. And I think that really just shows the, that he hasn't really taken the steps I thought he would since he, you know, burst onto the scenes. And for me this year, what concerns me is who does he rely on outside of Drake London in that receiving court? You know, Nick talked about Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's going in the draft this year. Yeah, they didn't go to- uh, high, but both of them outside of Drake London were like, were, were you know, had Keaton Slovis's trust. And, and really, who outside of Drake London has his trust going into week one? And that concerns me for this year with USC is how long is it going to take for Keaton Slovis to find his guys outside of Drake London that he's going to be able to throw to on a third down and 10 when they need a touch and when they need a first down or when they, you know, they need a big throw outside, you know, so I think you're going to see a a concerted effort of balance this year, just because I think that they're going to need that balance because Keaton Slovis isn't going to put the ball in in great spots every game. I think there's going to be a couple of games where Keaton Slovis looks, you know, just okay. Uh, luckily for them, their schedule is really, you know, for for me from a talent perspective, is really easy up until you know their their bye week. They and then they finally get Notre Dame, then they get at Arizona State in the back half of the year. But for me, you know, what what gives me so much confidence that USC is going to be the best team in the Pac-12 is their scheduling. They don't have to see Oregon this year, and they don't really have a compact situation where they even see a lot of tough teams back to back to back. You know, they get you know you know they get spaces in between a lot of their tougher games. The only, the only section of their season that I really am 
concerned about is that three-game stretch in November where they see at Arizona State, then they go at Cal, and then they go and play UCLA, which is a rivalry game. They may slip up there, uh, that, that and that's really the only part of their schedule where I see a slip-up happening. Uh, if they were to lose to Notre Dame, that wouldn't be as much of a slip-up as it would be Notre Dame might be just a better team at that point in the year. Uh, but with USC having a bye week before that game, I think they'll win that game. So outside of you know that that three game stretch in November from the 6th to the 20th I, I think this is a team that can absolutely you know be you know 8 and 0 by the time that they see Arizona State uh, in Tempe on November 6th um and so yeah and so I, I and so I think that outside of my concerns around Keaton Slovis because for me it's, he just hasn't progressed and matured as a quarterback when it comes to reading a defense he, he still kind of like locks on to one guy and he's like if he's not there i'm gonna try to get it there regardless you know his first pick in the spring game was drake london double covered over the top and underneath and he threw it anyways and i was just like what are you doing uh and so for me that's that's my biggest concern with this team is how no matter how talented they are around keaton slovis how good you know is 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 you know the, the gunslinger that he is and how much is that going to be a detriment to them in these bigger matchups or in games like when they play a cow on the road where the road atmosphere plus, you know, cows, you know, Ben don't break defense might be exactly what they need to beat a USC team. Uh, and they may pick off Keen Slovis twice, which maybe flips the, the entirety of that ball game. So my concern with Keaton Slovis is why USC is a team that could slip up later on down the stretch of this year. Outside of that, this USC, USC team has the talent to to run the table and to be a college football playoff uh, attendee this year or a contestant uh, coming into this year. So, my uh, so like I said, outside of my concerns about Keaton Slovis progressing as a QB, I like USC. We move over to another Pac-12 contender here in Utah. And Utah, we have ranked 18 overall. Last season, they fielded one of the youngest rosters in the conference. They didn't even kick off until November 21st. And they did drop their first two games, but won three straight to finish three and two. Uh, we have them going nine and three. Their DK total is eight and a half. We haven't favored to win 11, but only talent edges in seven, which kind of describes Utah every single year, Nick. What do we think of the Utes? for 2021. Yeah, I mean, Utah has, has uh, become one of the most consistent programs, certainly in the Pac-12, and, and uh, you can make the case across college football, and they've consistently been able to get more out of a roster that isn't uh, usually stocked with a lot of four-star level guys. They do a great job of, of uh, developing players. They do a great job of finding uh, some underrated talent, uh, and then turning those guys into consistent winners. They play, uh, you know, a style of football that uh, keeps the game close, and, and then they're able to, uh, you know, make a move and, and win some close games in the fourth quarter, or when they're, you know, able to cobble together or, or at least, you know, group together uh, some, you know, higher talent uh, periods like a few years ago when they had Zach Moss and and uh, Tyler Huntley and and then they're able to you know open it up and and sort of uh, kind of uh, what, uh, what what's what's the term I'm looking for here where you uh, inflict your will on on an opponent right so uh, last year they had to revert a little bit more to that hey we're gonna uh, run the football and and play good defense and it did start a little bit slow but uh, they were able to. Uh, you know, lose close against Washington, 
maybe maybe should have won. I mean, they were in control of that game in the first half uh, and let it slip away. But uh, then against uh, some lower half of the, the conference teams, uh, but were able to beat Oregon State, uh, looked good against Colorado, and, and then uh, looked good, especially in offense, best offensive performance against Washington State toward the end. But, um, you know, Utah is consistent. They are what teams like Oregon State and Cal uh, want to be. And, you know, I've seen some comparisons to, to how Utah is sort of what uh, Stanford used to be, that, that team that's a, a Pac-12 contender, even without the most talented uh, roster that, that, you know, has a defense that you can rely on, that sort of thing. And this year, you know, I, I think that they are certainly uh, capable 18 in our power rankings seems a little high, uh, but, you know, the schedule sets up really quite well, and there are, I think, some real reasons for optimism. Um, they are going the transfer route at quarterback, which can be hit or miss, of course. Uh, Charlie Brewer is, I think, the most experienced quarterback in college football. He's got 39 uh, career starts at Baylor. Last year was a bit of a disappointment, uh, but he's a guy who's been there. He's been a starter. He's led a program. Uh, he's had some success. He's also, uh, you know, had, had periods where it was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, in, in, in some very difficult spots as well. So uh, I, I think he'll be able to come in and, and perform well enough to keep Utah in a lot of games. But, you know, they've been uh, excited about Cameron Rising transfer from Texas, who is, I think, still in the mix to, uh, you know, compete for that job, though I do think Brewer has a, a pretty big edge in it. But also, I know they're excited about Jaquindon Jackson, also a transfer from Texas, uh, you know, very athletic, maybe can can bring a new element to the offense that Brewer, even though he has been, you know, successful at times as a runner, uh, but maybe it's just not quite up to that level. Maybe Jackson's the guy that, that really can eventually uh, give this offense more of a dynamic threat at that position. But, you know, they've, they've been recruiting better and better. Uh, two years ago, I think, was their best recruiting class of all time in, in 2020 when they brought in uh, a ton of talent, especially in the secondary, to replace uh, basically a, a unit that was completely um, – gone, you know, heading into the 2020 season. Cork Phillips III flipped from Ohio State to Utah is, is maybe the highest rated recruit they've ever had. Looks like a future star, stepped in as a, a starter last season. Now he really is somebody that, you know, you can build around uh, in that secondary. Devin Lloyd, incredibly productive uh, linebacker, had 12 production points in our calculations for a team that only played five games is, is uh uh, kind of, you know, kind of ridiculous, to be quite honest. I mean, that's, that is a, a ton of production. He's one of the best players in the Pac-12. They always are solid at, uh, you know, up front in the defensive line. Mika Tafua was an all-conference performer last season. Uh, they are going to be playing without Max Pye, unfortunately, uh, who it sounds like he is uh, not going to, not going to be there this year. He's, he's off the roster. Haven't, heard an official reason why uh and then uh nate ritchie who is a, a 
pretty pretty highly rated safety was a starter last year as a a true freshman is uh, going to be gone in 2021 and 2022 if I understand correctly on his mission so uh, you know they are losing a couple of key pieces of course they had the the just tragic news uh, that Ty Jordan passed away uh, after the season last year so you know there there are some things you know personnel wise of course but then uh, some some just other real life things that Utah will be uh, dealing with as well. But this is still a, a very, very solid program that I just don't see tape, you know, taking a major step back. The offensive line returns fully uh, or, or excuse me, is, uh, you know, four returning starters. Um, they are, you know, going to be maybe not spectacular, only ranked 76th. Uh, in our performance ratings on, on the offensive line. But, you know, still you expect Utah, Utah to play well up front on both sides of the football. So I think they're going to be fine along the line of scrimmage. And then they're able to, to sprinkle in just enough uh, talent at the skill position uh, and then, you know, take advantage of some positions like tight end where Brent Keithy, you know, you don't necessarily think of, of tight end uh, year in and year out being a difference-making position, but he's one of the best in the country, and, and he's somebody that they you know will give a handoff to every once in a while. So they do a good job of utilizing their uh, skill position talent. They complement with um, transfers where they can, in addition to Brewer, T.J. Pledger. Every time I turned on a, an Oklahoma game last year and T.J. Pledger was getting carries, uh, and yeah, he lost you know, his, his starting spot lost carries during the course of the year, but he would always uh, make an impressive play or an impressive run that, that, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I like to watch run the football. He's got a chance to, to, if not be a starter, you know, be in a rotation with Micah Bernard, who's back. And then Chris Curry, a transfer from LSU uh, it, receiver. They brought in a, a couple of transfers, Theo Howard, um, Manier McLean, I've heard some really, really good things about uh, Devon Vele, who is a sophomore who got a little bit of playing time the last couple of years. is, is still under 100 career snaps, but seems like uh, there's some buzz building that he's kind of the breakout performer at receiver. Uh, they have Solomon Enos. They have Brenton Covey, uh, who's been an all-conference you know, punt returner, but he showed some real promise at receiver as well, uh, a guy that they get the football a variety of ways. So Utah is, is, you know, traditionally a team that overachieves, that doesn't have huge roster uh, strength numbers. They are top 40 for us. They are top 30 offensively, only 57th in our defensive roster strength numbers. But I think we all agree that that defensively is, is kind of the side of the ball that you can really count on from Utah uh, year in and year out. So they are, I think, a, a dependable team. They're a team that showed progress over the course of last season, though they were one of the youngest teams in college football. You know, we did see that growth from game one to game two to game three and toward the end of the year, uh, I I think. And I think they are, uh, you know, set up well coached enough to continue to make that sort of progress, carry that over into the 2021 season where it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. BYU is is always a, a difficult opponent. Uh, a major rivalry game. They're on the road. They're on the road against San Diego State. Two of their first three Pac-12 opponents are USC and Arizona State. 
the top two teams in the Pac-12, the top two teams in the division. Uh, but I think that they are, you know, one, they have a bye week before USC, be able to prepare that, uh, you know, for that. But also they're a team that, you know, we probably can expect that they improve over the course of the season. So maybe that, you know, second to last game where they get Oregon at home uh, right now, you know, we do have, believe it or not, Utah is a, a slight favorite in that game. I'm not sure many out there would expect that, but, you know, that's a game that, that by November 20th, Utah might be uh, really playing at a high level. And, and that certainly is a game that, uh, you know, they could win. Maybe by that time, Oregon's really figured out it's, quarterback situation, maybe they're rolling, maybe they're com- you know competing for a, a Pac-12 title or, or a playoff spot, but that's a very, very dangerous spot, and that's a, a game that you know Utah certainly could pull an upset if, if they're an underdog in that game or, or you know certainly could make a statement with that type of win. So uh, a little bit tricky to put our finger on Utah all the time. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt, even when the numbers don't always uh, you know back it up, but Right now, you know, our projections see Utah as a top 20 team. So even though the eight and a half, uh, you know, win total at DraftKings was a little higher than I expected, quite honestly, but favored in 11 in, in our official model, you know, I, I think there's a, a pretty good chance with a manageable schedule and, and with a team that should get better over the course of the year that, uh, you know, Utah makes a run at, at nine wins. Javier, are you on board this uh, Utah hype train at all? Or, uh, you know, always con- uh, consistently good, uh, yeah. but rarely push over that hump. I mean, they feel like California with a better offense. I think that's the best way I could put it. Uh, they, they... <laughs> Scott's face. Uh, I, I, think, I mean, okay, that's just, uh, that's a bit much, I feel like. You know, uh, is it though really when we're thinking about it? Uh, you know, I think every year Utah comes with a defense that's formidable, like Cal, but their offense is far is typically better. You know, I, I wouldn't I, say Cal's defense is good every year. I'd say it's in. I have said this since I've started the CFF podcast in 2014. I'd say Cal's defense is always underrated. Fair. Uh, I don't know that it's always good. I think Utah is always good on defense. Okay, fair enough. My, my, I, and I will start in piggybacking off of that. I will start with my biggest concern with him, and that's the health of Charlie Brewer. If he can play all year, I think this is a team that absolutely can win eight plus games. Uh, but but Charlie Brewer for me is a guy who puts his body out there, puts his body on the line every time he plays. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Uh, and, and so I think that it can fall. It, that that's where my biggest concern is now. Nick, you know, alluded to the fact that they have had. You know they they love the rest of their quarterback options, and so that's a plus, that's a plus for them uh, absolutely. Uh, their offensive line is a ma- massive plus. I think that this is one of the better offensive lines uh, in the Pac-12, and I think that that's going to be one of their bigger strengths going into this year that they can just oppose their will uh, on on some of the teams that they're, that we've talked about uh, in this podcast. I also really like their schedule. Their schedule for me fits perfectly uh, with the fact that they start their year off with with some 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 good talent, some testable talent in the BYU and San Diego state which i all think that they'll win those games uh but then they get a bye week and not only did they get a bye week right before usc like we talked to talked about but that bye week also was two weeks before arizona state which can allow them in, in some regard to you know 
prepare themselves, but also get healthier before easily their two toughest games of the year, back-to-back, outside of the Oregon game at the end of the year. So I really like that they have a bye week right before USC and Arizona State, which allows them to get prepared and get healthy for, for, you know, to, to ramp up for the Pac-12 schedule, essentially uh, outside of the Washington State game that they play on September 25th. The rest of their games are against Pac-12 opponents. So I really like that for them. Even if they were to lose those two games, I think they could still run the rest of their schedule against Oregon State, uh, UCLA, Stanford, Arizona, po- probably lose to an Oregon. Uh, but that might be one of those games, once again, that Oregon loses down the stretch of their season. Typically, that, that's when it happens. Oregon always loses a game when they – can't afford it down the stretch of the year in November. Uh, so maybe that's that game, especially with it being at home. Oregon's not a team. It is a very susceptible team to being upset on the road. Uh, so maybe that's the, you know, that's the game November 20th that you circle. If you're Utah to get you to a team, to a, a possibly nine win season, uh, with your, with your only losses possibly coming against USC, Arizona State, and maybe they slip up somewhere else. So I really like Utah. My biggest concern over the last couple of years has been the quarterback position. I really like Charlie Brewer, though. He, he was a very serviceable quarterback, very good quarterback uh, for Baylor. Uh, my only concern with him is his health. Obviously, you know, he, he's had a series of concussions throughout his career. Um, I, I, you know, I, as a person who's had my own, you know, bout with having several concussions in college, I understand that there's, there's just not much leash there if he were to have another one uh, in, in his career. So, you know, as long as he can make it throughout through the year and they don't have to have this revolving door at the quarterback position, I like Utah uh, to win at least nine games. All right, let's go over to Washington. And uh, Washington, another perennial contender in the Pac-12. We have them at 13, which would have them only behind USC and Arizona State. Uh, they won the Pac-12 North uh, with a 3-1 and record last year. O- only loss was to Stanford 31-26, but they were not allowed to play in the Pac-12 championship because of COVID protocols and things like that. Um, we have them at 9-3. and DK win total is 8.5. Favored to win 12. Town edges in 10, Nick. Uh, Huskies are always right on the brink. What do we think of them this year? Yeah, Washington is is definitely one of those teams that is maybe going to uh, make or break our season as, as far as our projections go because we are high on Washington. Uh, 13th overall, third in the Pac-12, as you mentioned, uh, higher than Oregon in our preseason projections, which, uh, you know, I think is, is certainly uh, – I mean, debatable might be the right word. I don't know. Uh, There's certainly an argument to be made that Oregon should be clearly ahead of Washington. But, uh, you know, Washington was was solid last year. Uh, They performed really well in in our team performance, you know, sort of advanced stats uh, ratings, 17th overall. They were top 20 on offense, which I think very few uh, people would have expected because you look at a a team like Washington, which is a little bit more of a, you know, slower run the football, kind of what we used to call pro style. Now pro style is is a little bit more uh, spread out a little bit, but, but, you know, 21 personnel, fullback, tight end, that kind of stuff. And they're, they're just not super exciting but they were, you know, they were solid. I mean, they were ninth in the country in points per drive adjusted for, uh, you know, filtering out garbage time and, and only against FBS opponents. Uh, they were 32nd in yards per pass attempt. They were 26th in success rate, uh, 21st in expected points added, 
per play offensively. So, you know, those, those are numbers that we consistently see with top 25 offenses. And, and uh, you know, what we see sometimes as we're watching a game, a, a team that doesn't, you know, spread it out much, doesn't, uh, you know, has two tight ends on the field a lot of the time, um, doesn't play at a real fast tempo. Sometimes you, you don't quite realize how efficient uh, that offense can be. All that said, they played four games last year. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it wasn't the very toughest competition. I mean, they, they did play Utah. Uh, they were down 21 to nothing at halftime against Utah and were able to come back and win that game. But then the other two wins were against Arizona and, and Oregon State. So, you know, there's there's certainly an argument to be made that, hey, yeah, we had them as a top 20 offense. Maybe, you know, in a, in a uh, season where they played eight games or like this year, hopefully 12 games in the regular season, you know, maybe that number we would have seen it creep down a little bit lower in the leaderboard. So, uh, you know, I, I do have my concerns that Washington is a team that last year's small sample may be, you know, weighing a little too heavily. Uh, but, you know, right now, it, it based on that offensive team performance, this looks like a team that's certainly a Pac-12 contender. Defensively, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's very little argument to be made. They were 30th in our defensive team performance last season. Would not surprise me at all if this is a top 15, maybe even top 10 type defense by the end of the year. They were 15th in our passing team performance uh, on the defensive side, 57th against the run. And, you know, the, part of that is, is uh, the defensive line, you know, performed only at a, uh, they were 64th in our performance ratings last year. That is a uh, position group that does see some roster turnover. They only bring back one full-time starter up front. Uh, they also play kind of a, a little bit of a unique setup where they have very few uh, guys with their, you know, hand in the dirt uh, on the, uh, on the defensive line, but, you know, losing uh, a second round pick, uh, at defensive end, losing another guy who signed as a undrafted free agent, you know, plus then Joe Tyron, Tryon, who, you know, we had listed as a linebacker, but played a lot close to the, the line of scrimmage as well. There, there are certainly some uh, key pieces missing. And then, unfortunately, as well, Zion uh, Tupula-Fitui suffered an Achilles injury in spring practice that looks like it's going to keep him out for most of, if not the entire year. Uh, you know, there are some personnel concerns, but I think that uh, they've got a lot of talent coming back one, but this is also a defense that consistently is, is well coached and, and plays at a pretty high level head coach, Jimmy Lake, defensive guy, former defensive coordinator. It's going to put that unit in a position to be successful, uh, whether or not that ends up impacting the offense. There's, you know, some concern. And of course they do have to replace uh, their defensive uh, play caller and Pete Kwiatkowski, who went on to Texas, but you know Bob Gregory has been on the staff there for a long time. Uh, has been a defensive coordinator before. Plus Lake is still there. I, I think Washington has the defense uh, certainly to compete for and potentially win the Pac-12. It's just whether or not that offense, you know, will will step up and and play at the level that you know they can stay keep up with a, an Oregon who expect to have a uh, an improved offense especially if the quarterback situation works out with USC who could have one of the best passing 
uh, you know, offenses in the country with UCLA, who shows a lot of promise. Uh, if you match up with one of those two or one of those three in the Pac-12 championship game, you know, I, I think the defense will be able to hold those units in check, but will the offense be able to keep up if a unit, you know, that talented as USC, for example, uh, you can't, can't keep them uh, contained the entire game, probably. You do still have to outscore people, uh, and will Washington be able to do that? I think there's a chance. Uh, they are a team all offseason our numbers have loved, have you know had them favored in every regular season game since that very first update we did in March. Uh, at first it made me nervous, and then I started to like it a little bit more. And there are certainly a lot of coin flips, uh, there's certainly a lot of games that uh, could go one way or the other. We have seen Washington lose games that you would say they shouldn't lose, like Cal two years ago. They open up Pac-12 play against Cal. That's not going to be a gimme. Uh, they do play UCLA in the crossover. They do play Arizona State, uh, but that game is at home. A lot of the important games are at home. Oregon is at home. Uh, you know, UCLA at home and after a bye week. So the schedule sits up, uh, sets up about as well as you could hope it would uh, for them to be in a position to win some of those coin flips and to, you know, just sort of do just enough where, yeah, maybe they get, maybe they lose a game along the way. It, it's very, very difficult to go undefeated, especially uh, if you're, you know, don't have top five talent and we only have Washington 25th in roster strength. So, you know, one loss, two losses, absolutely you know possible uh, maybe even probable but the schedule ranks 63rd nationally in our calculations that is the lowest the easiest in the pac-12 the only team that's really close is arizona state at 60 everybody else is you know 55 or, or worse or, or you know most teams are, are 40 or, or tougher so i i like the schedule i like the level of experience the offensive line played really well last season. Kate Otten, one of the best tight ends in the country. They've already named Dylan Morris the starter regard at, at quarterback. Whether or not he's actually the most talented quarterback on the roster, you know, maybe he's not. But you don't have to worry, at least right now, about uh, any sort of uh, QB competition tearing the, the locker room apart or, or anything like that. I think there's a lot to like about Washington, and, and it would not at all surprise me if if they end up winning the Pac-12 this year. What do you think, Xavier? I mean, the schedule is in favor. They hit Michigan early and then not a lot of bumps until that Arizona State game. So do you think they can pull it off here? No, I don't. And and, and that's just because I don't trust Dylan Morris. I in yes, granted, he had a very small sample size, but Nick hit it right on the head. I don't know how talented he is. I don't know if he's the most talented guy in the QB room as of right now. But for me, he's going to be in a very game manager-esque role for me this year. And when you're playing in Oregon, when you're playing in Arizona State with, with defined roles for both quarterbacks of those teams, I don't. I just don't see where – I just see more negatives in Dylan Morris in a big game like that than I do positives. Uh, their running game is going to be immaculate. You know, Nick talked about them having the by our numbers the best offensive line in the Pac-12. You know, the, their running game is going to be great. They're going to ground and pound all year long. But 
that also would allude to the fact that their defense has to then play above and beyond uh, against an Oregon, against an Arizona State. Uh, luckily, both of those games, they do get at home, like Nick said. But I just feel like when you don't have an, a quarterback that can win you a ball game, you're susceptible to an upset somewhere. You're susceptible to a game where your defense doesn't come to play for a half or, you know, your running game just can't get going. You know, they, they when you don't have a quarterback like that, that, you know, you, you, this is a game or this is a team that loses to a uh, that without a quarterback could lose to a team like a cow or could lose to an Oregon State if they're hot because Dylan Morris isn't going to pass for 300 yards when your running game isn't working. You know, that's just what I got from watching him last year. I'm a I'm a de facto Washington fan because my mom's an alumni. So, like, watching those games, I just didn't see it. Uh, I, I, and for me, I'm hoping that this year he could prove me wrong in a bigger sample size. Uh, but this is, you know, this was some of the concerns, even though he was able to work through that. This was some of the concerns that people had about Jake Browning when he was there, that in his first couple of years, he wasn't the excellent passer that he could be to win you a ball game. And people felt that he didn't have the win you a ball game kind of talent level. And this is kind of what I feel about when Dylan Morris is, is he a guy that when I, I'm down 14, three in the first quarter, I trust that on the next two drives, he's going to have to drop back to pass and he's going to be able to drive us down the field and do so, uh, you know, in a big game. And I'm not so sure of that. Like I said, if he proves me wrong, Nick, then you're absolutely right. This team is poised for a run at the Pac-12 championship. However, I'm not confident. I'm not confident in saying that. And I'm much more confident. Uh, comfortable with the quarterback situations at the other schools that we talked about. I'm much more com- uh, comfortable with Charlie Brewer, with uh, Anthony Brown, uh, with Jaden Daniels, these kind of guys. I'm much more comfortable with, even with Keaton Slovis and, and everything I just said about him. I'm more comfortable that at the end of the day, I know he can at the, at the very least, he has the the confidence in himself to drop back and make those kind of throws that may, you know, that he may need to, to win a ball game. Dylan Morris. I just don't know that yet. Um, but hopefully he proves me wrong. Maybe they go to Ann Arbor and, and, you know, he, he throws for 325 yards and three touchdowns. And then I can shut up about, about Dylan Morris, you know, but as of right now, I'm not confident in that. And I'm, I'm reluctant to, uh, to say that Washington can make a run at it. I still think this is a very good Washington team. And I still think they can get over the eight and a half and they sit at nine. But I think, in those big games against an Oregon, against an Arizona State, and possibly one other game this year, Dylan Morris, just, his inadequacies and his arm strength, which was my biggest concern in watching him last year, is what's going to end up being their downfall. All right, let's go to the last team in the Pac-12 here, Washington State. We have them at 73. Uh, they did beat Oregon State 38-28 to in uh, Nick Rolovich's debut as Washington State head coach. But they lost their final three games to finish one and three. Uh, DK has them at six. We have them at five and seven, a full game under. So that might be a better number. Favorite to win five, talent edges in five. Nick, what do we think of the Cougars for 2021? I'm, I'm not very high on, on Washington State. And uh, it's it's a program. I, I feel like I've made Cal references all, all day. Um, but it's it sets up relatively similarly. The roster strength numbers are not, you know, super impressive. Washington State is 71st overall in our roster strength uh, calculation, 76th on offense, 73rd defensively. Uh, so they're just they're going to be the the least talented team on the field more often than not. Um, and, and you know, just sort of as a rule, unless they have a a you know offense in Washington State's case or, or a defense occasionally that just performs at such a higher level in our team performance numbers that, that they can, you know, overcome that sort of 
talent disadvantage, it's just not really going to change their overall power ranking very much for us. And that's why they're 73rd overall, ninth in the Pac-12. And, you know, I, I could make an argument that that they should probably be a spot or two lower on that Pac-12, uh, in that Pac-12 pecking order, right? you know. They, they had a lot of transition last year. Everybody had a weird year. First-year head coach, you know, sometimes there's uh, some growing pains. They did get a win in that first game, uh, so you would think, okay, maybe they, they you know, that, that wouldn't be an issue for them. But this was a team that did not, in my opinion, get uh, much, if at all better, over the course of the season. Uh, that game against USC, and I know they had, you know, they didn't play the the two weeks prior, so uh, I don't remember exactly uh, if it was Washington State's uh, uh, roster that was being impacted most, but I think it was, uh, and they they just looked bad against USC. Jaden Delora had some, you know, flashes here and there as a uh, true freshman starter in a new offense where he looked pretty good, but against USC, I mean, he looked he looked bad. Uh, and, and then just sort of the offense as a whole couldn't quite, you know, play up to that level uh, that we got kind of used to seeing Washington State play where they were a at least a dangerous uh, opponent week in and, and week out. They lost by double digits to Oregon. They lost by, uh, you know, more than three touchdowns against USC. And then they lost by, by three scores against Utah as well. So, you know, a lot of changeover. Maybe there's some reason to think that that, that offense will improve. I know they weren't uh, able to use Max Borgie. They're very highly uh, rated running back for the first three games. Hopefully he's fully healthy and, and ready to play. But, of course, you know, Washington State is a, a run-and-shoot offense that doesn't run a ton. We expect they'll probably use Borgie a little bit more as a traditional running back than, you know, maybe Mike Leach did uh, in, in his more pure air raid. Uh, and and Rolovich has been creative in the past with, you know, get your best players the football. But the, the system as it stands, at least, you know, what we saw last year and what we uh, saw prior to that when he was at Hawaii, uh, you know, makes me think that it might not be built perfectly to, to uh, make best use of Borgie. And if that's the case, you know, you're looking for playmakers at your receiver spots. You're looking for your quarterback to improve. Uh, Travell Harris had a solid year last season. Uh, Renard Bell had a solid last season. Both of those guys primarily as slot receivers who've performed very, very well uh, under Rolovich and, and in the uh, run and shoot offense. Sadly, Renard Bell, suffered a, a knee injury in the preseason that's going to cost him, uh, you know, basically his entire senior season, we would expect. They lost Jameer Calvin to the transfer portal. Uh, Lucas Bacon, who who wasn't, you know, super highly uh, rated, but you know, proved, stepped up, was a starter for them, played nearly 200 snaps, has, has left uh, football. So, you know, you're going to need somebody to, to step up and, and, you know, catch a lot of passes who we expect they'll be coming from Jaden Delora. But remember, Delora also had an off the field issue in, in the uh, off season uh, legal issue. It sounds like that has been resolved and, and he's good to go, won't be suspended for, for anything. But they did bring in Jarrett Garantano, who had, of course, his, his 
own on-field struggles at Tennessee uh, <laughs> threw a pick six and his one pass attempt in the spring game before, uh, you know, I think he, he hit his hand on a, uh, on a lineman's helmet. Uh, and, and ended up having to, to uh, sit out the rest of the day. But, you know, you don't bring in a, a guy who's made 32 starts in the SEC uh, unless you expect him to compete for that starting role and, and push your uh, freshman who, uh, you know, made some on-field, plenty of on-field mistakes, as most true freshmen do, uh, but also made some off-the-field uh, or, or, you know, at least put himself in a situation to, to uh, maybe have – some off-field uh, aspects, you know, potentially impact his his abilities moving forward as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think Delora is uh, the most likely player to start. You know, not only uh, was not having Max Borgie a little bit of an issue last season, but Dion McIntosh actually stepped up, played pretty well, and they brought in Nikhil Watson, uh, who transferred in from Wisconsin. It's, has been a guy who showed some promise at times. So you know the running back position, you think, okay, they're they're set up pretty well, but that's not really what they want to do. At least it, it hasn't seemed that way. So there's there's some there's just some aspects uh, at Washington State that that. Uh, you wish were a little bit different. You wish the quarterback situation was cut and dry. You wish uh, that your more talented skill position was at wide receiver. You wish that was a deeper position than running back probably. Uh, they do, I think, have a chance to be pretty good on the offensive line. Abraham Lucas came back somewhat unexpectedly, probably would have been drafted this year, you would think. He's one of four returning starters. They should be pretty good up front. The defense, you know, linebacker, I think, is a position of strength. Uh, it, it, you know, the defensive line, they ranked 108th last year in our performance ratings. The secondaries had some turnover, had some off-field issues there as well. Uh, so, you know, it's it's there are there are areas of strength and there are areas, I think, of, of real promise, but there are a lot of questions and there's a roster – that's just not, not that talented. Uh, when you know the way that we calculated, at least, uh, not super experienced at some key spots. Not you know counting on players who've been highly productive in their careers that can help sort of offset some of those uh, recruiting you know lower rated numbers that our model uh, has to take into account. So I've got a lot of questions about Washington State. It seems like, you know, since the, the uh, season last year, we've heard a lot more off the field stuff about Washington State for, for a variety of different reasons, whether it's injuries or, or you know, guys getting in trouble or, or other things happening with the coaching staff, that it's just it, it doesn't feel like a situation that's set up. Uh, for a lot of success, especially coming off a year where they didn't show or, you know, didn't achieve a lot of success um, on the field last season. So, you know, five wins is is certainly possible. Would it shock me if, if Washington State finds a way to pull off an upset here or two, get to six, get to uh, a bowl game? But, you know, it also wouldn't uh, completely shock me 
if Washington State gets upset by Utah State in week one. And we, we've talked before that Utah State was one of the worst teams in college football last year, but they've made some real positive uh, changes, it sounds like. And so I, I think that that's not a, you know, that's not necessarily even a gimme. Uh, but if they get to 2-0, and which, which is certainly very possible, playing USC and Utah in back-to-back weeks is a crossover, uh, playing, playing opponents from the South Division, playing BYU in the non-conference middle of the year, also getting Arizona State as a crossover. I mean, you're playing our three highest-rated teams from the other division when you are arguably the, the least talented uh, team in the conference as a whole. It's, it's tough. You have to play Oregon and Washington as two of your final three games uh, after after November bye week. So they have, a, a you know, uh, what, eight games before their first bye. Then you play two of your three toughest opponents. I don't know. There's just a lot of reasons for me, and, and it might sound nitpicky here and there, but I can I can come up with many, many different reasons to where I'm, I'm not super confident that Washington State is, is going to take a big step forward this year. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, you know, Nick kind of said it. You look at the schedule, it's not very favorable, right? Uh, they, it, they're they probably going to beat Utah State and Portland State their first two weeks. After that, it's um, too much guaranteed losses against USC and mm-hmm. Utah. Then they hit a coin flip spot here of Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, where their season's probably going to be made in yeah. that group. And then... BYU's a loss, ASU's a loss, Oregon's a loss, U of A's probably a win, but if they get momentum moving forward at that point, they could be dangerous for them. And then Washington ended out, I mean, you know, two wins for sure with three coin flips doesn't add up to a very favorable over. Not at all, but I will say this. I do like the fact that the toss-up games are at home. So you talked about Oregon State, Stanford, BYU. All three of those games are at home. They're in Pullman. Um, if you guys have ever been to Pullman, you understand the home field advantage that that is uh, with the, the the weather, the fact that it's really in the middle of nowhere on top of that. I, I really like the, those three games in particular. Uh, what I will say, though, is I think Nick kind of alluded to a lot of Washington State fans' feelings right now, which is what are we going to look like this year? Uh, and, you know, from a quarterback perspective, for a receiver perspective, the only – Thing on the offensive side of the football that you really look at and you go, okay, that looks consistent is Max Borgie. Uh, you know, they're their offensive linemen, their right tackle and left tackle. Those are only two players on their team that have over five games started at you know at their respective positions on the offensive line. And Max Borgie, you know, Max Borgie and, and Travell Harris are the only two skill players that have over 10 games started uh in, in the, at that respective spot. So there, there are a lot of question marks here, and they're going to have to find their footing throughout the season. Another thing I hate about their schedule that you guys didn't mention was they have the latest bye week of any team in the Pac-12, November 6th. That's awful. That's Nick nine games. That. Oh, you did? I'm sorry. Yeah. Nick says a lot. I'm trying to remember <laughs> it all. Yeah, Nick, Nick says a ton. I try to remember all so I don't overlap everything. Um but yeah, you, so you thought like, I you thought I was not going to mention it, and then and then I just slipped it in, and, and so well, I, it was I understand quick. you could have missed it. It was I, I thought yeah. you said one thing you did mention. I just I just I don't. Know. Well, you oh. you mentioned a lot, Nick. So I always have to say I'm alluding to Nick when I say these That's things. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but no. So with them having one of the later off uh, with later bye weeks in the in the year, that also is a concern for me because when you have a team this young, 
how are they going to handle, you know, week in and week out, not having an opportunity to regroup and, and recuperate in, an, in a, a non-game setting, in a non-game format, especially when you look at their schedule and you really look at the fact that, you know, although, yeah, they have Cal, they, they have a lot of teams in there that even though that they sh- maybe should win these games or maybe might win them like a Cal and Oregon State, those teams are going to play hard regardless. And, and, and that's, you know, half the battle sometimes with the with, with these college students is, just effort, you know, they're going to play with that, that kind of effort, especially at that point in the season when Cal and Oregon may, may be undefeated in some regards. I think I talked about Cal possibly being 4-0 at that point uh, because of their non-conference. Uh, but they, there's an op- opportunity here for them to really, you know, for, for them to either have a, a surprisingly good season like a Colorado last year or finish with three wins. And, and it's really, you know, no, no middle ground there. They're they're either going to be a, a team with three wins or or a team that makes a bowl game, and we go okay. They're moving in the right direction. You know, Delora looked good, and and he's somebody that they can build upon as, as their future. You know, as the head of the spear going forward, with him being only a redshirt freshman. Uh, Max Borgie looked like Max Borgie. Uh, they were able to find some uh, some some talent from um, uh, a senior leading receiving core, but with a few younger pieces as well. But if they're not then this is going to be a really tough year. This is going to be a, a growing pains for uh, Jaden Delora, who's really going through his first year of college football. Yes, he only, you know, he played last season, but really his first full season, uh, which will be an experiment, which will be an experience, excuse me, for him. I'm just, you know, I, I, too many question marks with this Washington State team to say that they'll go over six wins. So I'm comfortable saying under. Uh, I think this is, you know, I don't know what the uh, how much what the bet is on this, but I, I would be comfortably saying under for Washington State, to be perfectly honest with you. I think even at best, this is a four to five win ball club. Uh, you can't tell me right now that there's six games on this schedule that you feel comfortable betting on if you're a Washington State fan or if you're a better at all. So I, I'm comfortable with saying four to five games at most. With that being the case, it's an easy under for me. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for the Pac-12. As far as our conference previews go, we have three left. We have, I, I believe, three left. We have the uh, Pac or the Big Twelve, Big Ten, and SEC. So what's next, Nick? The Big, uh, Big Twelve. Big, Big Twelve for us, and and then uh, just real quick, going back to. Uh, Xavier's point. If if you were interested in the under six, it's oh yeah, I can bet on minus, this one. Hold on, uh, it's at minus one twenty. So uh, that that would be, uh, you know, basically if you if you bet one hundred eighty three point three would be the uh, would be the the payoff there. So you can calculate that as you would in our in our fake dollar betting game. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think of, of the teams that we talked about so far and with the Pac-12, there's a lot of, there's a it's lot, lot of questions. wishy-washness. Yeah, there is. And there's a lot of, you know, they played shorter schedules. They played at weird times that, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know how much I can trust what I saw last year, whether it was with my eyes or just even what the, you know, what the numbers said, you know, talked a little bit about Washington, how they, they were a top 20 offense uh, statistically the way we calculate it last season. But can we really trust that? So there are a few teams that I feel really good about how we project them. Uh, but Washington State, I think I might feel the best about our, you know, we, we peg them as a bottom, you know, bottom three team in the conference uh, and, and a outside of the top 70 nationally. 
that seems right. That that seems like maybe we, you know, at least captured what I think is the true Washington State potentially better than did we capture the true Washington or Oregon or, or even Cal or Oregon State, what have you. So I, I feel like if uh, if Xavier were, were moving in that direction for the under six, I think I'm I think I'm with him. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for us today. Like Nick said, Big 12 coming up for our next show. So uh, stick with us. Only three conferences to go, and then we're going to be talking about the action that's happening because it's coming up real, real soon, 20 days away uh, as we stand right now recording this podcast. So we will see you guys later in the week. Uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, G-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We'll see you guys next week or in a couple days, mate. Take it easy. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.